Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Story makes the Independent this morning, and this is from um, a report commissioned by the Law Society that says that there are unacceptable levels of bullying. No level of bullying is acceptable, incidentally, but they're talking about unacceptable levels of bullying, harassment and sexual harassment um, existing in the profession of solicitors. Uh, And apparently there are little consequences for those who have engaged in such behaviour according to the board. What they are saying is that one in every two female solicitors has experienced sexual harassment at some stage, while it only was experienced by one in eight male solicitors. One in two female and one in eight male. Now, the levels of reporting are alarmingly low. Uh, 91% of those who um, who spoke and uh, were part of the commission said um, that they um, they opted not to take matters uh, further, and around uh, half of them said that the main reason was that they didn't report incidents of sexual harassment was due to the profile or the status of their tormentor. That's a worrying story, and what it is from the Law Society for female solicitors, one has to wonder what it is like for women in other professions if that's what's being reported uh, from the law profession. Uh, it's quite worrying and alarming. Uh, and also, um, of course, we know that it's the weekend, the bank holiday weekend ahead, and the jazz weekend. And the Echo this morning says, uh, headline story, no clarity yet on live events. Now, the Red Tops are having lots of fun, actually, with headlines over the past couple of days. But with only 24 hours to go until the jazz festival kicks off, the live event sector are still in limbo in terms of how they will or won't be able to actually operate. Um, now, the examiner says that there is an announcement expected this afternoon to give clarity on the measures uh, that nightclubs need, that entertainment venues need, even pubs and restaurants, I suppose. Although they don't really have as many unanswered questions, I think. I'm open to correction from publicans and restaurateurs. Get in touch. Text 0868104106. But it seems to be nightclubs or music venues, perhaps even, might even be bars that will have live bands across the weekend, probably want some clarity. So we the shift is the shift on or off. So this is the fun that the tabloids are having with nightclubs. Uh, we have... Stories like, uh, you know, uh, don't take the kiss as a frontliner making the mirror today. Uh, Top Doc warns levelers to be careful, revelers to be careful when clubs reopen. Like Tony Hulhan insists that he won't be dictating to people if they can enjoy a snog uh, on the dance floor when nightclubs open uh, tomorrow night. In fact, some in Dublin are opening at midnight tonight, I believe, because they're technically then into into Friday. But that's interesting because they dictate about loads of other things. But when they're asked to make a call on whether people should, uh, I mean, I don't know whether the shift is on and off in nightclubs anymore. I don't even know if they're, I guess there aren't even slow sets in nightclubs anymore. Uh, but uh, you would think that he would make a call and say something like, well, you know what I mean? If you're going to be kissing each other, blah, 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 blah. He'd come from a, from a medical background, but that isn't happening. They've stopped short on that. Um, it's up to us all. And in brackets, again, says the Mail today, the public is being urged to take personal responsibility in the fight against COVID. So something's never changed. I mean, some of those headlines you could pick up and plonk back 12 or 15 months ago. Uh, But you have loads of different graphs then on the inside pages of the amount of people uh, in hospital, the amount of people in ICU, those who are going into ICU and coming out of ICU. But in other news, lads, um, apparently there will be... Now, I was telling you about a, a Garda Blitz It'll happen for the next few months on tax, insurance, talking on your mobile phone. They're out there, the traffic corps are out there. And there'll even be more inspectors out across the weekend because um, health inspectors will be blitzing pubs and restaurants right across this weekend. Uh, Drive is on now uh, to ramp up compliance, you know, to ask for ID, 
to look and to scan the COVID cert. A bank holiday blitz will be enforced, apparently, according to the front of this morning's independence. So if, if you've gone into places and they've been lax, expect them to be far from lax across the weekend. And then the Irish Times talks of, um, it's a quite lengthy article, but just a couple of paragraphs that are interesting to me, where they said 14 people with COVID-19 were admitted to inf- intensive care yesterday. And that's the biggest jump since January. Um, and uh, they also say that uh, Tony Hulhan is attributing the rise in cases to a change in public behaviour, um, that people have got lax about it or, or fed up about it. And he's also in the Times this morning talking about the unvaccinated group of 300,000 uh, as being a worry. And also lax uh, checking and testing and no, well, lax checking uh, at Dublin Airport. Did I see somewhere yesterday where Tony Hulhan said that his COVID cert wasn't checked at, at Dublin Airport. And then uh, the examiner has a story regarding the elderly and the vulnerable, uh, where they're being asked again to limit their movements and again to limit their contacts. So yet another worry for the elderly amongst us. And in the UK, of course, don't even talk about that. Their cases are going to go north of 100,000 a day very soon. And then you have the story of the Indian asylum seeker, uh, Nadim Hussain, who has entered his seventh day of hunger strike at the Kinsale Road Provision Centre. He's been living in Ireland since 2019, says his parents were were killed in anti-Muslim violence back in India and his friends and supporters say that if he goes back to India the same thing will happen to him but he's been rejected with regards uh, to um, uh, permission to stay in Ireland that's why he's on hunger strike so the papers are keeping a close watch on that and be careful across Halloween apparently because uh, kiddies could mix up sweeties with cannabis candies and that's a warning making the papers today and who is and who isn't going to the um, the commemoration of partition of this island now not everybody would agree that it's a commemoration of partition, so call it whatever you want. But apparently the Queen won't be going because she's pulled a sickie. (laughs) Now, she could be genuinely unwell. I don't know. Uh, She may be thinking that the political climate is not a good time to be going, to be marking, celebrating, commemorating partition uh, of the island of Ireland, but she's unwell anyway. Poor old Nigel Farage got caught for the same Chucky Garlaw um, um, trick a second time. It's good money for celebrities, actually, in sending out uh, birthday greetings for people. Apparently, he can make £87 to record short video clips. £87 every time and send it out then to people. Money, There's money in requests, apparently. Uh, but apparently, not only was he caught once with uh, Chucky Garlaw, but uh, they went back and caught him a second Come back and caught him a second time. And the Mirror today has the 100 top television shows of all time. Now, I'm going to give this a bit more time a little later on because there's a lot in the top 10 that shouldn't be and there's a lot outside the top 10 that should be. Now, they researched professors like... I mean, not no disrespect to professors. I'm assuming these professors are binge watchers of TV all over the world. But it's come back with the top 10 as being The Wire, number one. Of all time, The Wire. I don't see The Sopranos in the top ten, which is weird. Uh, Mad Men's at number two. Breaking Bad at three. Fleabag at four. Game of Thrones at five. I May Destroy You. What? What? At six. The Leftovers. Another. What? The Americans then after that at eight. The Office at nine. And Succession at ten. There's lots of others. Uh, I'll come back to them throughout the course of the morning with regards to the ones that didn't make the top ten. But I wonder if any of yours are in that top. I mean, The Wire I never saw. Never. But then, uh, because The Wire started in 2002, but about 12 months ago, because everybody had been talking about it for years, I tried to watch it. But I just thought it was kind of dated, jaded, 
And it, it was even hard to understand what they were saying, even though they were speaking American English. But that's just me. Oh, and listen, if you want to do something for the environment, think about getting rid of all of your steel knives and replacing them with wooden knives. And I'm talking about wooden handles now. Actual, the cutty part, the blade made of wood. So the days when, say, a wooden knife might have been only marginally better than a chocolate teapot, they're well gone, apparently. With the London Times this morning saying, scientists have now made a wooden blade that's three, t- <laughs> three times sharper than a stainless steel blade. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, and 20 times harder than traditional timber. How, like, how can they do it? The Neil Prenderville Show. Oh, and by the way, there's one other story related to the kitchen this morning, and it has to do with vegetables that we love and hate. Like they are saying that the poor old aubergine and this is the UK. I don't know whether this is the same here, but the aubergine is Britain's most hated veg. I taste because people are frightened of it. They don't know what to do with it. Kind of, you slice it, don't you? And you, 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 you kind of grill it on the pan or in, well, probably not on the, in the grill itself, but on a pan with olive oil and butter. Uh, grapefruit also left uh, apparently a bad taste in the mouth. And thankfully, I'm delighted because I, I never warmed to it at all myself personally. And that is the avocado. Uh, which Nigella Lawson for years was driving on because apparently people love avocado on toast. But in the UK, people ain't taken to it and they think it's horrid and it comes in as third on the most hated vegetable list. But apparently the most popular, this is a study from uh, the drinks maker, the uh, fruit drinks maker, Innocent. They say the strawberries topped the chart of the all-time favourite fruit. So you're charted out there, all right? So text 0868104106, pick up the phone on 1850104106 and we'll drive on. I don't want to hang around long because Owen uh, has been up all night. He's the live booking and entertainment manager for the Old Oak and Cypress Avenue um, and uh, he joins me with the phone. Owen, good morning. Owen Ahern. Good morning, Neil. How are you? You've been up all night trying to work out guidelines, what you can do for the bank holiday weekend, what you can't, and you're also waiting for more advice. Is that it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got 105 staff um, that's supposed to be working this weekend. Um, so we've, we've, we completed the third draft of this week's roster last night uh, based on the latest update that we, that we might now may be able to go ahead in Cypress Avenue at full capacity. Um, but where the old oak is still kind of it's on, on tender hooks is what we can do there. Okay, well, just let's talk through the venue because Cypress Avenue is is a is, is a live music venue, and the old oak is is it's pretty much a club, really. Now, isn't it, Owen? Yeah, I mean, with the old oak, I mean, it's got a long history of bands, um, but it's also a late night entertainment venue as well. So um, it's, it kind of ticks a lot of boxes for people. Um, so we had 14 acts scheduled to play in the Old Oak um, over the jazz festival, um, but we're kind of we're just kind of in the dark really there. Uh, we had to make a decision last night. Okay, but why are you are you in the dark? The bands can play, can they? Can't they? Um, the bands can't really play because the, the way the, the way layout of the Old Oak is with table service, it's not really viable. Um, because we've invested over ninety thousand euros into access weekend. Um, and we were planning to do that on capacity based on previous advice. Yes. So you were expecting that uh, it would be back to full capacity, none of this sitting at tables and the people could order from the bar, like the old days? Yes, that, that's correct, because that, that was the advice we were given at the end of August, um, when, when the release 22nd of October would, would be the date. Okay, okay. Came for, and then the jazz festival was scheduled to go ahead in that respect. So could you potentially have to cancel the gigs in the Old Oak? 
Um, for tomorrow, we've had to make a decision just to cancel the three acts that were scheduled to play um, because it's just not fair on staff to be able to try to pivot at the very last minute yet again. Um, for the rest of the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we're hopeful that we can do something. Um, but it really depends for the old oak tonight on what the revised guidelines for there will be. What's the story in Cypress Avenue? Uh, because that would be, Cypress Avenue w- would be seated then, would it? Um, no, so so as things stand, uh, with the latest update we've received, it should be fully standing for the weekend at full capacity. Fully standing, okay. Yes. At full capacity. Um, yeah, so, so tonight should be the, the final seated show. Uh, under the current restrictions. Yeah. Um, and out of 10 shows that we have scheduled this weekend at Cyprus Avenue, seven are already sold out in advance and the other three are on their way to be being sold out. Okay. So the, the standing helps, doesn't it? You don't have to sit at a, on, a, on a seat or, you know, you yeah, get more people. You get more people. Full capacity is the way it used to be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, like, the important thing about this, I mean, like all these acts would have been booked months ago. Um, so you're tr- trying to plan ahead. Um, you, you you can't really just kind of open the doors and and you know, have have, have uh, taps in the bar flowing. I mean, there's there's rehearsals, there's flights, there's accommodation, there's ticketing, etc. All has to go into it. So it's not really something you just got to open the doors and, and crack on. You know, um, you're going to have to check everybody's COVID cert and then uh, scan the QR code and then ask for independent ID, aren't you? Yes, exactly. No, you've probably we, we, been we, doing we, that anyway. We, 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 we've been doing that all along, um, and Joe, everyone's been fine. So what we're doing is, as soon as we have restrictions, uh, the guideline restrictions, right, we'll be eating people once again and let them know, again, just they have to have their vaccine cert. Um, if you don't have a valid vaccine cert that's in date, which is over seven days past uh, your second yeah. vaccination, then you will not be admitted. Do you, um, do you have a dance floor in any of the venues? Uh, there is a small dance floor in the Old Oak, uh, and obviously the with Cypress having the layout, it's completely flat. So depending on the show, it can be a full full dance floor or a seated event. Okay, um, this when they're indoors and upstairs of the gig, there's no masks. They're fully vaccinated with no mask, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and they, and and if they, and if they dance, assuming things things will will be as it's being told what what will happen tonight when on the new restrictions. Yeah, it's just because one or two kind of half updates that I heard that were being being discussed is the people will be allowed to uh, socially distance queue for the bar. Did you hear that? Yes. Um, so um, on the last for for live events, they've had different guidelines. So on the last handbook that was given for the 6th of September um, when it came to live events, you were allowed to have a queuing system in place. Um, So we've been trying that over the last week or so and it's been very, very effective. We're able to social distance people, have people at four points at the bar. Um, When you leave your seat, you mask up and we have ushers there making sure people are doing that. We want to do this in a very, very safe yeah, way. Yeah, because that helps your staff, doesn't it? Your floor staff aren't overwhelmed then if people can queue. I mean, yeah, you know. exactly. Um, I mean, I, mean I, I think a lot of places this weekend as well, I mean, it's been it's been over a year and a half since anyone in the hospitality trade has dealt with a, a queue at a bar situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but will it be so, will you be able to police it when when the few pints are in? Like you know what I mean? In a busy scenario over a bank holiday weekend, it's going to be a nightmare yeah, I mean, for security staff, isn't it? I mean, we've got over twenty security staff roster tonight. Um, 
So like we will be enforcing that. Um, we have queuing systems in place ready to go and set up um, in, in the Cypress Avenue bar for that. And we also have paramedics for the weekend as well because we want to make sure people, people don't lose their own of themselves. Well, I'd be darned. Well done. Have you always done that? Uh, for, for busy events, yes, because it's just one of those things that it's just a responsible thing to do. And why would you need a paramedic and what would they be called to do? Uh, a paramedic would just be there just for safety. Um, you know, with the, with the change in, let's say, people going out at night time, you don't know, you know, is there a level of pre-drinking involved when, before they arrive in? You want to make sure they're not kind of overdoing it. I think that's incredibly um, responsible in fairness. Do many so do many establishments do that? Um, some places do, like the Opera House, I, I know, would do it on busy standing events as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, maybe, um, maybe, maybe so, but... It's, 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 just, it's just the right thing to do because I, I think kind of letting people have at it and then you see scenes on the street afterwards. I mean, we've been in this industry a long time. No one wants, no one wants that. And no one wants the staff to, to, to be in that position either. Okay. One other, well done, one other suggestion that's quoted in the examiner this morning that um, they're talking about counter service being allowed again in pubs was one possible change being discussed. Um, did you hear that? Um, yeah, it's, that was, I think it was a newspaper paper article last night. Yeah. You would be allowed counter service once you return to your seat. So again, it'd be kind of like the oh, system. Is, the, that is that that queue we're talking time. about? That would be the queue. Yes. Um, so it'd be, it'd be the same thing for pubs if that's, if that's is what's coming to pass. Okay. Um, that you could have associates in queue at a bar. Um, but then once they've collected their drinks from the bar counter, they have to return to their tables. Okay. And have you been chatting with the likes of, you know, your counterparts at, say, Reardon's or, or Voodoo or other establishments like that? Are they as confused and, and waiting like you are? Yeah, I mean, everybody's in the same boat um, because when the restrictions were first announced, everything seemed to be, te- uh, capacity-wise, seemed to be kind of linked to you know, how many tables you could have. And of course, the more tables you have, that affects your capacity because it eats up real estate. Mm. You know, so and, and then you've got to make, and when you have tables in place then as well, you've got to make sure you have extra walkways for, for fire safety. Would you normally take all of the tables out across the jazz? Um, no. No. Because, again, it's, you need somewhere to be able to kind of be able to rest your point. You can't have big open spaces. Uh, like that, you know, because again, it can create a hazard if someone drops a bottle or whatever, then you don't want to get someone getting caught or injured. Okay, so at the moment now, you have 105 staff. You're not sure how many of those will actually be required. You don't even know whether or not you're 8 out of 10 bands. But you say, how many bands in total did you say you have? Uh, so, so there's 8 different shows in Cypress Avenue and 7 out of 10 are currently sold out at full capacity. And do you know whether the, how many of those will be able to go ahead? Uh Based on what we've been told, all of them should be able to go ahead. Okay, okay. Um, but, but again, until the, and the devil will be, will be in the detail. Okay, yeah. So, um, so and, if, and until that comes out, we can study that. We, we just don't know. Okay, but the, the, the upside to this is that full capacity uh, and all bands playing, uh, checking COVID certs, um, checking ID, possibly having a queuing system at the bar. I mean, if that happens, you'd be quite optimistic, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's really important. I mean, like the live music industry has been suffering a lot over the last 18 months. Um, and now we're finally getting back into it. Um, I mean, because I thought if you had a gig upstairs in Cypress Avenue, you had a jazz band on a stage, my understanding was that people had to sit down. No, it, it depends on the, for, on the format of the show. 
Um, because, but again, a lot of the acts we would have had booked this year would have been booked back in May, June, July before the jazz festival was even a certainty if it was going to happen or not. Um, so we were doing that without any kind of financial supports in place. Yeah, but but um, my point was I thought they had to sit. You're hearing now that you, they don't. Yeah, but again, you're you're trying to plan ahead, and you're kind of you're being told that after October twenty second that they didn't have to be seated anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what if they tell so, you today they have to? Um, that will basically put a major knock on the events. A lot of them will have to be rescheduled once again. When are you expecting? Um, when are you expecting this announcement? Sometime this afternoon, is it? God, they're slow, um, aren't they? They're, they're, they're saying it could be this evening. They're so, slow, aren't they? I mean, Jeannie Mac, in, in some places, the jazz used to start on a Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been a jazz festival on some Thursday before, but it was curtailed to Friday to Monday this I year. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, okay. so we'll have to just wait and see until this evening, which and that'll be less than 24 hours before the first event is due to start. Well, I know you've been working and crunching numbers all night, so go and get some rest. And thanks so much, Owner her for taking the call. Appreciate it. Regards no to, uh, regards as well to everybody in there, including Jar Kiley, an old pal of mine. Give him my best, all right? Yeah. Will do, will do. Okay, thank you. Take care. That's uh, the old Oak and Cypress Avenue. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red FM. Okay, Antonio Hulan this morning and uh, the papers referencing uh, the three hundred thousand plus unvaccinated as being possibly one of the reasons why. Uh, you know, we're we're still in this similar situation to where we are. And that caused quite an amount of debate on this here program this week, uh, following up from uh, some of those texts that I didn't get to from both sides of the uh, of the debate. If you like a family member, a family member of mine and partner went to dinner on Saturday night. They had a table booked, were led to the counter to have their meal. They were they were very busy because no tables were removed for social distancing. Are you saying that the table they had booked wasn't available and they were led and ate at the counter? Crazy stuff, isn't it? Who thinks, uh, another one here, my sister, four days after her first Pfizer vaccine, was admitted to the A&D with severe vertigo and a clot in her lung. Our three young kids, uh, so no one will be getting this jab. Um, he was just referencing comments made by uh, us on the air on, on Wednesday. Um, one or two more. Also, it's not the unvaccinated that are taking away your freedoms. It's the government. Uh, I work in healthcare, and anyone I know with COVID is fully vaxxed. Uh, I work in healthcare and anyone I know with COVID is fully vaxxed. Uh, yes, and they are also in hospital fully vaxxed and they're also in the ICU fully vaxxed. So following up on uh, Joe O'Shea's calling from Wednesday, I know a lot of people that their doctors and consultants have told them don't take this vaccine. I also know a lot of people that have had such adverse reactions to their first vaccine that they won't go and get the second, never mind a, bo- a booster. And Neil, how many, pe- how many are in hospital with blood clots from the poison jab and how many died uh, I will take the flu jab as it's safe and I will take vitamin D, C and zinc for everything else. Morning, the vaccinated who make up 33% in ICU would more than likely be dead without the vaccine. Think about it. The vaccine works. Why is it that the fully vaccinated that uh, are living with uh, COVID positive cases are not being held responsible for spreading the virus? The um, fully vaccinated who are positive? Uh, They're not being told to restrict their movements uh, and are out and about in society, possibly carrying and spreading. You can carry and spread the virus if you're vaccinated. Uh, Do people think they should be forced to take anything that they don't want? Don't people believe in democracy anymore? Particularly Joe O'Shea, as a journalist, I would have thought, would have believed 
in freedom of thought, expression and choice. Uh, can you please tell me, of the 149 unvaccinated in ICU, how many have core mor- morbidities, as in underlying conditions or other illnesses? What other underlying conditions are present in these patients? I, I don't have that figure. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever find to get. Um, Joe Shea is also insinuating that a certain group of people should be segregated in society. Surely that's dangerous, um, says another texter. There are doctors out there that reject the vaccines too, but they're shut down and constantly ignored. I'm not vaccinated and I most certainly am not shouting at the guards and I'm not one of the ones walking into places wearing a mask. My reason for not getting the vaccine is the simple belief that I don't think I need it. I also have freedom of choice. It's my body. I'm happy to let my immune system fight this virus if I ever got it. I'm certainly not an anti-vaxxer. I believe in vaccines. My two children have their vaccines. I never got the flu vaccine because I never got the flu in my life. How come people were never forced to get a flu vaccine? Uh, Why can I attend a wedding, a christening, a communion party unvaccinated, but I can't take my children to McDonald's? The restrictions don't make sense. What category do I fall into? Not anti-vax. Um, I simply don't want it. Why are you, why are your two kids um, uh, fully vaccinated? I wonder. And um, you don't mention your text your responsibility to other people, which is interesting. Uh, I completely agree with Joe O'Shea. He's talking about conspiracy theorists, not people that are just vaccine hesitant. He's talking about the anti-maxers, the anti-lockdowners, the anti-vaxers who think there's a global plan. And that COVID is a hoax. I have a relative whose marriage broke up due to her husband getting caught up in a conspiracy theory and going to protests. Before this, he was easy to deal with. But now he's aggressive, won't listen to anyone about anything. This is his life now. And it's cost him his marriage, friends and clients because of this. Vaccine hesitancy is different from conspiracy theorists. And they are the ones that Joe O'Shea was mainly talking about, the conspiracy theorists. O'Neill, I wouldn't take any advice from England on how to deal with it. They've got their head in the sand as usual. They don't seem to care anymore. They've moved on, but COVID spreading there fast and deaths are going up. One or two more, anybody writing columns like Joe O'Shea's is driving hate into society. And just two or three more, uh, the unvaccinated are getting COVID from all the vaccinated that are out socialising. Plus, the vaccine given out at the beginning is now losing its function um, and people are socialising again. Yes, you know, I guess that's why we're talking about boosters now. Uh, When will people realise we will never get back to normal until everyone is vaccinated? Whether you're a believer or not of the vaccine, the government and all the governments of the world want everyone to be vaccinated. And until that is the case, we will keep being held back from a full reopening. Mind you, one other person says Irish people love being told what to do. The lack of innovative thinking and the ability to stand up and demand answers for ourselves, clarity and action, the lack of all of that in this country is incredible. So thank you for all those. That's just a selection. I can't get to all and I apologise for that. But I will come back to more texts and emails throughout the course of the morning. But earlier in the week, um, I read out an email from a parent of a daughter uh, who was um, name-called by the teacher, actually, and criticised, called useless, called evil, There may have been other words used, but those two spring to mind. Do you remember that uh, email? That prompted a lot of texts and indeed a lot of calls. So let me turn and give that some time this morning, if you will. Uh, Sharon's standing by, but first up, Sarah, good morning. Good morning. And a lot of texts. So people shouldn't feel as if they're alone, isolated, uh, or this isn't happening to anybody else. I've got a lot of case histories here in front of me. But tell me your own story. Um, This is my story as such, I just more, I suppose, my opinion on what happened. Um, I just 
I think that a teacher in a classroom is there to instill confidence and self-belief in in their students and for any teacher to think that it's okay to call a child evil and tell them that they're useless is just totally unacceptable. I don't think any teacher has a right to speak to a child like that. Even in even if it came out and wasn't meant in a stressful scenario with maybe 25 or 30 teenagers, you know, not paying attention, not pulling their weight. Um, did we know what age the child was? Uh, no, 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 11, 11. My 11-year-old daughter yeah. came home from school crying as her teacher called her evil and useless because she didn't do enough work in class. Yeah. And I believe the mother did say that the teacher tried to contact her afterwards. Yes, thank you for that. She says, I messaged the teacher. Yeah, she says, I messaged the teacher and her reply was, I did have to talk with her uh, as she had did. She did very little on every subject today. I was worried about her. Soon after that, then the teacher phoned her, um, uh, trying to be all nice and concerned, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I just think it doesn't sound like it was um, out of concern that the teacher was speaking to her. Maybe the child was struggling in that subject and is having issues in that area. But I don't think there's any excuse for in the classroom in front of other children to, to call one of your students evil because they didn't get to do some work on it. No, you're thing. right. Uh, not, not, not doing your lessons doesn't make you evil. No, it's a terrible thing to say to a child and to call it you know, a child useless in any form in front of other children. I just think it's completely inappropriate. Okay. That uh, the teacher really has no business speaking to the child that at, way. At that age, 11, we're probably talking about primary school, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. And she said that um, while it's not good enough, I can't take the matter any further as going against the teacher will only make my child's life harder. Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I actually think that she absolutely should have taken it further and not to cause trouble as such, but maybe the teacher was having a bad day or something. But I wouldn't. I think if my child came home from school and said, I know the student was called them useless and evil in front of others, I consider that bullying. That's verbally abusing a child. So for an adult and a teacher in that position to be speaking to a child that way is just inappropriate. So I would sit down with principal and the teacher and maybe just have a little mediation and try to get to the bottom of why she felt it was okay to speak to a child that way because I certainly wouldn't be happy with my child being called evil and useless in front of other students. No, and, and even if the child needed some form of reprimanding with regards to their lessons, you would do it privately, you wouldn't do it in front of a class? Yes, of course you would, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doing it in front of other students must have been very embarrassing and hurtful for the child. You got it, well said. Thanks, Sarah. Let me talk to Sharon. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Okay, pick up on this conversation. Your thoughts? Oh, well, I think definitely. Um, firstly, people shouldn't be judging the mother because obviously she's got her own reasons for feeling not knowing what to do. You know, so I think it was a bit unfair a few comments against her. But secondly, um, one of those was: Did you ever think that they weren't the words the teacher used? Maybe your child is making it up. First, you need to talk to her friends that were there at the moment and see, is your daughter telling the truth? Then, when you have someone confirm that those were the words uh, that the teacher used, only then should you go to the principal. That kind of one? Definitely, yeah, definitely. And there's some other comments as well. But I think, yeah, every situation is unique, but definitely she needs to firstly establish the truth and then, I think, speak to the principal about it because a friend of mine had a similar situation a few years ago and they spoke to the principal who dealt with it very beautifully and the teacher actually got reprimanded because what the child was saying was absolutely the truth and and the teacher never, ever treated that child badly again. 
and the teacher said that she didn't realise she was How was it actually harm. proved, though, I wonder? Wouldn't they have had to get another child in the class to, um, to back up the, the, the claim? Um, well, the teacher admitted it. Admitted it, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I think definitely the mother shouldn't keep it to herself because it could damage the child's, you know, self-esteem and all kinds of things going forward. Teachers that are bullies do cause a lot of damage to kids. And it's not right. Um, and yeah, most teachers are wonderful and, you know, doing an amazing job. And for one teacher to cause problems in a child's life, it def- definitely shouldn't go any further. It should be dealt with by speaking to the principal. Um, I would speak to the principal first off and just see um, see what's happening, really. Um, yeah, Let me get some not, more text right. on you. you can't yeah, you can't ignore it. You can't just let it go. Well, she didn't, well, she didn't ignore it. She, she texted the teacher and then the teacher rang her and probably rang her because she knew she overstepped the mark with terms like evil and useless, you know? Probably, yeah. yeah. But I think the teacher shouldn't be saying those things in the first place. All right, um, okay. Uh, thank you for that. Right. Cheers, Sharon. Yeah. Much obliged. Thank Thanks, you. Sarah. Why is it that everyone instantly is saying the teacher is terrible? How many people have met kids who, to their parents, are angels and can never do anything wrong, when in reality, they are awful, spoilt, entitled brats, acting up and then running to mammy or daddy when they get called out on it. Not saying this is the case here, but there's a possibility. And the teacher, if they did say these things to the child, is wrong for saying them, but no one knows what the child's behaviour towards the teacher has been either. I think for judgments, they can be made on both sides, and both sides need to be heard. And there's one question which uh, no one has addressed. She had been given work to do in class, but had not done any of it. Why not? If the rest of the children in the class were, were doing the classwork as they were instructed, why wasn't her daughter? As says Frank by text to 0868104106. Johnny Bongos. Johnny, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Good you wanted, morning, you wanted to pick up on this because uh, what was your experience? It was quite a young age, was it? Yeah, it was um, um, primary school and into secondary school there, like, um, and Neil, there's a, different teachers there, teachers, there were horrible, they were just nasty pieces of work, not all of them, but most of them, you know, and... Well, we need to wind back the clock to um, a car accident when you were two and a half, do we? Uh, yes, yes, I was two and a half. I was under a cab uh, getting a ball and the car took off and I got badly damaged, you oh, know. Oh, Johnny, um, Johnny, I never knew I that. Know. I know, sorry. Um, two hands broken, legs broken, ribs, you know, badly damaged, you know. So I was in stilts in the wheelchair for a couple of years after that, and I started practicing playing buckets and stuff, you know. And then, but I was that. You started drumming yeah. then, and you started working yeah. on rhythm, yeah, because you were yeah, literally was, yeah. unable to move around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, you were lucky exactly. to survive that, because if it rolled exactly. over your head. Oh. Yes, indeed. It was it was uh, many many moons ago, and so I went to uh, I went to a special school, and I was uh, moved into a primary school. You know, yeah. But my writing wasn't great, and my reading wasn't great either. You know, and trying to walk in that environment, you know, they'd be throwing uh, pencils at you. You can get a a roll across the head, or you can get a, um, the chalk to the tree. You know, or you'd be saying to like you know. Come on, I'll catch up, catch up. I, I used to um, write the homework, try to write down the homework on the book and try to go home and do the homework. It was just terrible. Like, so to, this was all from primary school teachers, was it? Uh, primary school, uh, some of them, and um, uh, some of them in, um, in the secondary school as well, like, you know, that's um, 
Like, it was the teacher was throwing the duster or throwing chalk at you or calling oh, yeah, you yeah, calling yeah. you a dunce, yeah. is it? Well, you were putting yeah, the corner dunce, and stuff. Yeah, or stay in the corner, put in the corner and stuff, you know. But and in, in secondary school as well, there was this particular teacher. You get the T-square at the back of the neck, you know. I get the T-square across the hands, you know. You know, so and I pass it, I pass it then and sometimes as well, like, you know, to this day, you know. So, so he'd get you get you'd get a slap at the T square of mechanical drawing or something or carpentry. Yeah, the, yeah, chemical drawing or woodwork, you know. Depends what you're doing, you know. A full and blow from it, like a full blow across. Oh, you get the get the full blow. You get it right. Like I want you on a Monday, like you know, a lot of um, uh, kids went through a lot, boss, like you know, and uh, they'll probably they'll probably will ring you ring you in, you know. You know. But did any of these like, teachers at the time know of the horrific injuries you sustained when a car drove over you? I mean, your your writing wasn't the best because of that. Yeah, um, I, I I probably did. They would they would like on the nose, like you know. But that time, Neil, like you know, go back, go back forty years, like you know, they didn't care, you know. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, they didn't care really, you know. So it's just that's like they they don't care. They were just they weren't teachers at all. They were beast. You know, that's what they were. Did you say it you to know? anybody or at home or anything? Did your parents know? And I told them, right, but I, I wanted to leave school, so I left school at the age of 14. That's what I done. I just left it, you know. Yeah. I had enough, you know, I had enough for deal, you know. So just left the school, so got out of there, you know. Just and what, would, they, would they name call you in the class and, and mock and things? Uh, just, just, no, just they might call you done, so wake up, you know, or wake up like and stuff like that, you know, wake up and cop yourself on and stuff like that catch up with the rest of them like you know so and, and it's just that's the way things well if your writing isn't great everything will start to suffer and then you get flustered and panic and get depressed about oh, yeah. it and, and yeah. then you'll yeah. Yeah. you'll get yeah. left behind you know yeah even to, even to this day my writing is not great so the phone educated me Neil to be honest with you like, yeah. you know my music you know that's what educated me like you know yeah, yeah. so yeah. I learned, like, like learning there like you know how to um how to do a sound in there and the whole actually I love to through through the phone really, you know. Fantastic, so, yeah. Isn't it a great know, so aid in the right hands in fairness? Yeah. It's, uh, it's great, Neil, you yeah. know, so you're, you're very good, Neil, and thanks for taking my what call. Do you, you know? What do you make then of this uh, original email of a teacher calling a child uh, evil and useless? Terrible, absolutely shocking, shocking. You know, All right, Pat. Shocking. All right, look after Shouldn't. yourself, Johnny. Take care. And Neil, and Neil before you go, I'm, I'm at the wish... Um, Yourself and your crew and all the musicians, sound engineers and managers and bands, the very best look this weekend at the jazz. They're okay. dusting down the amps and guitars and drum kits and bongos yeah, well, and everything well, this well, week. Well, I'll, I'll need to go out tonight, no, Neil, please, God, you know, yeah. we'll see what happens, you know. Fair play Thank to you. you, sir. God bless you. Thank all you, right, sir. Johnny, the great Johnny Bongos, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter. At Neil Red FM. Gotta wonder whether these COVID inspectors working across the bank holiday weekend will be working nine to five or will they be working on the nights as well? We shall have to wait and see. Okay, just a couple of texts this side of uh, 10 o'clock. I went to school in the 60s and I used to get mangled by the nuns, says Anne. Mangled by the nuns. But thankfully, those days are over. If my children or grandchildren came home from school upset, I'd be up to that principal's office first thing. You need to put a stop to behaviour like this straight away before your child gets so upset and worried and won't want to ever go to school again. Uh, I'd certainly go further uh, just to show my child that I was backing her up. But you'll get nowhere. The principal will tell you she doesn't believe that's what was said to your daughter. And it'll be your daughter's word against the teacher. And they all back each other. It's the sad reality of schools here. But that's just the way it is. A teacher said something way worse to my niece last year. 
Uh, when my sister wasn't taking no for an answer from the prison principal and the school board, the teacher sent my sister a nasty solicitor's letter, basically saying, if you keep this up, I'll take you to court for slander. This same teacher has had issues with several other girls and parents and still nothing was ever done about it, says Katrina. Wow, that's a heavy hit in text, isn't it? Solicitor's letters and all. Um, changing hands. Um, with regards to nightclubs, just listening to you talking about nightclubs opening with restrictions or whatever, the bouncers think they're God already. And can, I can only imagine the carry-on of them with restrictions in place. Uh, I do believe the restrictions regarding masks and distancing over the winter period is probably necessary. Well, somebody there saying that... Uh, Cog bouncers are law unto themselves at the best of times. What's it going to be like going forward? And one or two more. I'm a 31-year-old, very fit and healthy person with no underlying conditions, but I have COVID and I'm just getting over it. Uh, I was so sick with it in spite of being vaccinated. So I hate to think what would happen to me if I wasn't vaccinated. People think that they'll be fine without a vaccine. But is anyone that is unvaccinated and got very sick really saying that? Uh, I can tell you from my experience, I doubt they are. Um, you need first to get COVID and get it badly to know what it's like. Others then, we got double doses of Astra um, 16 weeks ago, uh, had a lung infection, kidney problems, lack of energy, couldn't breathe. So I won't be taking any booster after my experience of the vaccination. I'm saying now we were sold a pup. Uh, What's the stupid logic that they're blaming it on? Uh, Do people honestly believe nightclubs will check digital certs? Um, They're stupid if they do. Pubs are supposed to do it as well, and they don't. Uh, there'll be and unvaccinated people in there in big numbers across the bank holiday. That's where the problem is. We won't be going to mass at Christmas the way things are going, I can tell you, because there'll be no mass. Uh, watch the figures rise over the coming months. People that are doubly vaccinated are in hospital and in ICU. Even immunologists are coming out and warning against opening up the country. Um, a lot of people then suggesting that, um, you know, all of this uh, access to pubs and nightclubs and restaurants over the weekend is reckless. Uh, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. We'll pick it up after 10. Text 0868104106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. With another opportunity this morning to win for yourself uh, double passes for the Metropole Hotel. And they'll be jazzing right through the hotel, right across the bank holiday weekend. And these tickets are for Saturday. Uh, so from 1 o'clock, Gary Bows in the Met. And then uh, activity right across the day in the Met up until the early hours of the morning. The ballroom will be going full flow as well on Saturday. Route 66, Runaway Retros, Swing Cats, New York Jazz Band, Brass Band and the, com- and the Committed. And then the Riverview is running from uh, 6pm with Philogy. And at 8 o'clock, the great Fiona Kennedy. And they even have the Douglas Vance suite going uh, across the bank holiday as well on Saturday night. You've got the likes of the uh, Rory Con- uh, the f- uh, Roaring Forties and the incredibly talented one and only super duper Harry Conley, who is still playing and doing the business, a super guy. Uh, so you're listening out for our cue to call sometime between now and midday. Uh, pick up the phone and get dialed and call it 10 wins on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Not now, but later. <laughs> All right, and we will have live jazz in studio at the Roaring Forties 
uh, tomorrow morning to officially kickstart the jazz as we usually, as we always do uh, on Leaside tomorrow morning. Something to look forward to. Lana was talking about people going to uh, be interviewed for a job in the police force in America. There's another kind of police related story that's uh, making the papers. This is a, a Garda story. Well, actually, not really a Garda story because a fellow called Stephen McGee uh, from Dublin uh, who got three months in prison. Um, and also, I believe, got banned from driving for 12 months and was fined a thousand euro. Why? Well, he was impersonating a Garda. Apparently, he's described as a police memorabilia collector. And he had these blue Garda lights, flashing blue lights fitted to uh, his car across the front grill. Um, and uh, everything was going fine for him, but uh, he, he turned on the lights. He, he claimed he put them on by mistake. Uh, to uh, allegedly uh, pull in a car in front of him. He was impersonating a guard now. The only problem was that it was off-duty guards in the car in front of him. So the game was up at that stage. The guards said that when they looked into his car, uh, they found uh, a guard badge, a Dublin firefighter's badge, a fire officer on call sign, RNLI stickers and a radio scanner. And when they checked the house, they found unofficial Garda T-shirts, old-school Garda hat and a sergeant's badge. So he was in court uh, during the week. He said he accidentally switched on the lights um, and he claimed that he never said he was a Garda and he panicked. Um, But uh, the game was up. He literally uh, pulled over the wrong car, I suppose, and two two on-duty guards in a plain car, by all accounts. You know, we were talking also about, um, you know, bullying issues in school, and that is a form of bullying by the teacher calling a a child evil. It was a very sad story of an 18-year-old lad called Eden Heaslip up the country, up in County Cavan. Uh, he died by suicide on the 20th of September, but he suffered for months of relentless bullying uh, by his peers, people of his own age and there and thereabouts. Um, and his dad, Raymond, was talking at his funeral and he told mourners at the funeral that any form of bullying that could be done to Eden, his son, was done to Eden, his son. He got mentally, he got physically, he got social media, he got abuse on his phone. Even when he left school, they were after him. He said all of this at the funeral. They just wouldn't leave him alone. And that is the reason, he said, why Eden ended his life. He was saying things like, you can go to jail for not paying your TV license, but there's nothing can be done for bullying, for making people's lives in absolute misery. Um, That was what his sister said at the funeral, Chloe. And the anonymity of social media is just horrific, isn't it? Where you can literally anonymously post and do and say anything you want about somebody and they can do nothing about it. Um, but his dad, Jason, told the mourners at his funeral that it was a suffering that no man with shoulders broader than his could ever endure. And it's not as if the family didn't know about a lot of it because he would chat with them wondering, what in the name of God am I going to do about this dad? He said they would just kick him all of the time. Uh, Never just one of them. He'd say to his dad, it's always three or four of them, dad. I could handle it if it was one to one, but there's always three or four of them. He said, just kicking him all of the time. Every week they'd kick him, he'd fall to the ground, they'd kick him on the ground. Um, They would do horrific things to the lad. He he said, the lad himself told his dad, they would get me and stick my head down the toilet. They never picked a clean toilet. They would pick the dirtiest, filthiest toilet full of you-know-what and stick his head down it. Uh, And he passed away by his own hand on September 20th because of months of relentless bullying. That's the world we live in, guys. You really do have to look out for your children at all times because you just don't know 
how evil the world can be. Uh, lines are open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I'll come back to this actually because Joshua Allen has been posting quite a lot uh, regarding his own life and turning his own life around. He he's an MMA fighter now and is engaging in competition, but. Um, he got very upset and annoyed at the weekend because the Mirror posted online a story, convicted drug dealer Joshua, 21, won his latest MMA competition at the weekend. Um, that's what they said, convicted drug dealer Joshua wins MMA competition. And he, he posted a screenshot of that online and he said, no matter how much hard work you do trying to turn your life around, there will always be people trying to drag you back down, judging you, and trying to remind everyone about your past. If I wasn't so lucky to have brilliant mental health and decided to kill myself tomorrow, then the headline would be, Talented MMA Fighter Commits Suicide. He says to the mirror, Keep writing what you wish, and I will keep proving you and everyone else wrong. This goes for anyone who's going through a tough time over being bullied or social media abuse of any kind. F what anyone says. People are always going to talk S-H-I-T about you, no matter what you do. So you just have to deal with it, he says. There's a reason why people say bad things about you, and it's because they have their own problems that they can't deal with themselves, so they take it out on you. I know because I used to do it myself before I decided to grow up. There's some of his Instagram posts over the past couple of days. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106 if you've thoughts on that or any other business. I just want to talk to Tom because um, I've been waiting to get on for a week now at this stage. My apologies for that. Tom, good morning. The, o- yeah. the, only, th- the only thing is I actually think that you're wrong. Would you believe it? I think you're wrong about whether or not the runway is long enough. I know we don't have an airport at the moment. I know we don't have rail you know, because you got to get a bus to and from Mallow. But you think, you still believe this story about it not being long enough for Transatlantic? Uh, well, it's not just uh, Transatlantic. It's anywhere within the uh, within the reach of a, a maximum loaded, um, uh, you know, the new type, uh, we say Airbus A321neo, which is... Um, the, the that means type. nothing to me. What does that mean? What kind of a plane well, is that? Uh, just to say, look, uh, uh, just backtrack a little bit. Um, four years ago, five years ago, Norwegian were starting to fly out of Cork and there was a big clinking of glasses and everybody was happy, happy until the guys in Norwegian said, lads, sorry, no, the runway is just that bit too short. But did they say that, Tom? They cannot actually take it to New York. They did say that, yeah. They did say that. The head guy at the time did say that, yeah. Uh, it was maybe 500, 600 feet uh, too short. And um, My understanding it, it, of it was that people weren't booking the flight. Well, they weren't booking it because they were 40 miles from Boston and they really wanted to go to New York, I think, you know. But that, that, it's a, a little bit... Not, I, I don't want to dwell on that, really. It's just the future, you know. Like, it's... Um, it's 31 years since the runway was extended. It's 21 years since I've got an overlay. What's happening now above there is fantastic. And the people up there are fantastic. And I've always got on very well with everybody up there um, and in Shannon and other airports when I needed to be close to people. So there's no animosity whatsoever. I'm delighted that what's happening is happening. But, but I this, is just, this is just a resurface. This is just a resurface job. Let me just let, let people know because they may not know. This is a resurfacing they're doing. No, That's it's, all. A, it's called a rehabilitation, which is to restore the runway. 
unrated origin and condition, which means they go down a bit further. All right, well, what, okay, but it's not it's not an extension. Cause you not see, an extension at all, no. I, no, I have no. put that question to Cork Airport numerous times, and they have always said the same thing. We don't need to extend the air, the air, the runway any more than it is already because aviation has changed so much that smaller planes can fly further. Um, sort of true. It's like saying to us, uh, look, if you wait around for Elon Musk, he'll fly it to uh, the other side of the world anyway, you know. It's it's a stop. It's a stop. Um, why, why, so, why so would they extend our the new runway in Dublin is over 10,000 foot? Shannon runway has always been over 10,000 foot. Knock Airport is 7,500. Kerry is the only shortest. Uh, runway than Cork. Cork is two foot less than 7,000 feet. We're not asking for... Uh, Knock is longer uh, than Cork We're not asking then. for 10,000 feet. We're asking for five or 600 foot more. You know? And tell me this, you know Knock, it's a, it's, it's a longer runway than Cork. Do they have transatlantic to and from no, America? No, not at all, no. Not at all, no. no. They're way, way down the pecking list, just to get it in perspective. Dublin handles something like 32, 33 million passengers. And do you think it's intentional that Dublin Airport DA won't do this because they want to keep the transatlantic traffic in Dublin? Or well, we, we we don't need those um, you know those those very big aircraft really here at all. We we, we well no, I can't say that. Let, let's rephrase that. It would be nice to have them here, but that is not the emphasis here, right? We're talking about the expansion of a city, fifty um, percent expansion of the population of the city in the next uh, 10, 10, 20 years. Um, the money being spent above now forty million. The money being spent in Dublin, three hundred and fifty million on the new runway. So that's that's a big percentage difference. Um, it, it's it's an economic decision. It's not a technical, and it's not an engineering decision. It's not I that they. Do, they it's not that they. You say it's a sop. It doesn't hold water. It's not that they don't need it. They do. We we do need it. Like look the the south the south the south ring road the golden mile when that road was put in the business that grew off that road was phenomenal. It will happen as well if they put in an art ring road. Definitely. Yeah. The same thing will happen. So, like, you can't expect the business to grow up in fields and then wait for a road. So you've got to put in the infrastructure. And uh, that's what's happening here. The infrastructure is not going in. And by no. not extending it by what? Like four, five hundred metres? You're saying... No, 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 not metres. No, no. We're like um, um, 300 metres would be roughly a thousand feet, you know. Well, it, that, that would be fantastic. If they could get a thousand feet there, it would be fantastic. I and mean, that would, would cope then with the increase in perhaps I think foreign direct investment from America? Increase in freight as well. Let's think about freight. You know, we're, we're kind of a city that needs to be fed freight. So I presume it's all going to Shannon or elsewhere. There was a freighter in recently there lifting stuff, but it must be lightweight. But, um, you know, just, just as... I, I, I must tell you, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at this. I did um, ring Hall Martin's office, or Simon Coveney's office, the Cock Chamber... Um, another radio station as well, another independent newspaper in the city. I rang the DA comms office, our officer, the IAA, the Irish Aviation Authority, on, on just to get specifics for it. And there is nothing, just to say on top of all that, there's yeah. nothing in the transport plan for 2040 that um, addresses this specifically. So and no, I've got no reply from any of those. They people. said recently in a press statement that they they are expecting in the next few years. Uh, Cork to handle transatlantic American traffic. Well, I don't know what miracle is going to be for the thing to allow that to happen. Uh, I can't see it happening at all, really. I cannot see it happening. Um, I mean, the development in aircraft, we have it at the moment with the um, the Airbus Neo. 
and I suppose the 737 Max, uh, a revised version of it. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm not technically off way with all these things, but it, to get an aircraft off the ground, it's a, it's a mix of um, runway length, um, fueling up, um, cargo, yeah, you know, yeah. outside of what the passengers want, cargo to um, to carry for, you know, trade. Yeah, yeah. When so you say, when you say... To make it economically viable, it has to be economically viable, otherwise it will not happen. Yeah, yeah. And you Even think that... Even if the runway is 40, 40 miles long, if this is not economically viable, it won't happen. Yeah, yeah. And you think there would be traffic, there would be uh, passengers who would fly from Cork to America then? Oh, enough, look, my, enough of I, have, them. I have a family member who, who went back to New York last week. They, they left the day before to go to Dublin, get back to her car, back to the hotel up next morning. I mean, it was a real pit. They're not going to do it again, they said. They're not going to do it again. They're probably going to fly to London and come over to Cork, you know. So. Yeah, and also, you know that the Cork-Limerick motorway is going to go ahead, so at least the trip to Shannon will be shorter. Well, why sh- <laughs> Why not the Shannon people trip to Cork? I mean, this, we hear this all the time, right? The road is the same length from Dublin to Cork, you know. Why not the people halfway, all the people decide to whirling for it? Why not want them to come to Cork and fly out of Cork to America? And when you I mean, s- I, look, I hate saying America because it ties it down. I mean, why, no, why don't we want to go down to, down to Asia? Or why don't we want to go elsewhere, you know? I mean, it, it's sort of, this American thing is, is a big selling... Yeah, well, that's um, true. You could have direct, you could have direct Caribbean you know? flights to the Caribbean in the summer and things, couldn't you? Well, probably can manage them. No, I, I won't say we couldn't manage them because, again, uh, they wouldn't, an aircraft wouldn't want to haul any freight maybe down there, you know. But um, there's a lot of things involved. We, we, we really would need to have um, an aircraft loading expert or uh, some guy from, from the likes of Ryanair to say, look, this is, makes it economically viable to fly this aircraft uh, from A to B. And uh, I don't have that knowledge. Has Ryanair said that they were ever going to do transatlantic? Well, they're getting some of these new 737 Maxes now, the revised version, so you wouldn't know what they might think. I doubt very much that they would, to be quite honest with you. But um, it's just that. It, it just it just bugs me. that it, it was bugging me that nobody was interested, you know, and uh, 40 million being spent above. Um, you know, I think the fiver on the old age pension for state pensioners amounts to about 135 million. Probably when it gets distributed or disability benefits, is probably 200 million a year. We're, we're just looking for 20, 30 million to stick a few feet onto the runway above. Yeah, actually, and, uh, an interesting text here said, don't you think that Norwegian Air should have known the length of the runway before they committed to flying out of Cork in the first place? I think, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think, yes, if I was there, I would have asked the man the question. But um, no, we know. You see, there's always a learning process. No, we know. So you know, no, I mean, I... Act on it, you know? No, I know what you're saying. Let me just bring Tom in on, uh, Tony in on this quickly. Tony, yeah, good morning. I, I remember. I remember when I chatted over and over with uh, with uh, the airport authority, certainly Cork Airport. They told me two things: the runway doesn't need to be longer because planes are advanced technologically not to land on shorter runways. And they also said that um, uh, bookings were low, and that's why it was scrapped. Three hundred ninety-two meters needed is what we need. I I I've been onto the DA and I've been onto the airport, and it's three hundred ninety-two meters too short to bring in what's called a wide-bodied plane. It must take two factors into account. When the plane lands, it must get a certain weight. But taking off, it needs excess fuel and new passengers. And to, to do America, you need a wide-bodied plane to make it viability, to, to, to make a viability prof- profitable. 
you must have more than so you know those planes that people fly to America on do they have a load of cargo as well they do a substantial amount each passenger will probably have minimum of 20 kilos in in, in suitcases okay. like if, if you have 300 passengers which, which you can't avoid by the plane take off in Cork that's 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 what we're yeah, the, Sorry to interrupt. There's other freight as well. You know, there's freight for uh, you know companies want to ship freight around. We want to ship post. You know, uh, to America. Other trading factors are involved as well. But what if it was just a passenger plane with uh, limited amounts of luggage and no cargo and freight? Surely the runway's long enough for that. It's not with the way to go to transatlantic. It's not. It's, it's, you, you, you need substantial quantity of weight as much as kilos you need a substantial amount of weight to bring a plane in the sky for seven hours to go to Lakes in New York but Neil I was at a meeting with, with Norwegian and with Michael Martin and with Conor Healy of the Cock Business Association the Cock Chambers and Norwegian got an EOC which is an air operator certificate to fly between America and Ireland primarily for Cork but once they got the EOC they could use it anywhere in Europe and I said at a meeting below on the Rogerstone Park That's in 2018, great. That's what great. was going to happen, that they were going to pull out a cork when they got the licence and they stuck it for about a year, maybe just over it. What did Aer Lingus do with that licence for the year in cork? Where did they fly with it? Norwegian, Norwegian. They was a Russian in Dublin. Norwegian, not Aer Lingus. You said Aer Lingus. Norwegian got the licence, held it for a year. Norwegian got the licence. And did it for a year. And that was intentional, you believe? Well, I, I said that you couldn't make money with a, a plane going to America with six seats wide. It's bumps on seats is what keeps a plane in the sky. That's been proven over and over. The more seats you can fill, the cheaper you can make it, and you must make it attractive to passengers to use the service. Yeah. Well, sorry, just to interrupt again, uh, Tom here. Um, the thing about it is that there, I, I looked at the whatever paperwork was available on the contract and I got a guy to look at it for me. He builds runways out in Saudi for F-16s and bunkers and all that kind of stuff. So he's familiar and he's familiar with big money contracts. And um, there was nothing in the brief that uh, suggested there was even provision for an extension. Now, I know they're putting in all this LED lighting and that. No, there's no, this is not being extended. No, there's no talk no, about there, that. There's just kind of nothing there, you know. And I mean, for the, for the city, it's very sad. It's very sad for the Cork region, to be quite honest with that. Uh, maybe somebody has vision somewhere, but we're not hearing about it. And, um, you know... Well, f- fantastic that it's been upgraded and another thing about it as well is that the city end of the existing main runway is the only um, approach that allows uh, low, low visibility landing it's not on the other end which is the sort of uh, Kinsale end alright okay. <laughs> and um, look if <laughs> it's like this if, if that runway up there is never going to be able to be um, made longer or there's some huge technical reason that it will never happen then we need to see seriously think about what we're doing we're, we're pouring money into something that is in the future not going to um, to be very um, sort of to, to, to be to, to be helpful to the economy of the city I mean everybody wants to run down to you know run down to Spain or run to here or yeah, there. that's yeah. the bulk of the bulk of the passenger yeah I'm just wondering how many people would actually would, would use it and what price would the flight be you know that's the well, thing well this is it you see that's the point about it what price would the flight be right with an A321neo fully laden nearly up to 200 people inside in it or why not think about um, um, you know a 787 Dreamliner which is the um, which is the sort of in vogue play you know, in, in, in that sort of um, capacity you know so we're, we're not talking really I know the, that that our gentleman has mentioned wide body aircraft but um, 
I'm I'm not envisaging that for Cork at all. Really, it's just the the um, the newer types of the what we call the smaller aircraft. Yeah. You know, so it, again, it's an, an economic thing, and I don't have enough data to be able to switch a collector over the last number of weeks to tell you what exactly will do it. But somebody knows. They say and they're in talks with airlines. <laughs> well. That's fine. <laughs> They're talking with airlines, but we still need the extra li- the extra link up there, without right. a doubt. It is so badly needed. And uh, looking at it, I just went up last week to have a look and see what was going on up there. It's fantastic to see it being done. But um, the the original extension to the runway was a thousand foot, and between the um, the the touchstone point of the one six runway, which is the city end runway. Yeah. There's um, there is at least two thousand feet from the runway touchdown point to the crash gate on the Lack and the Moor side, so there is plenty of room there. So it's not as if they have space. Yeah, there's okay. a runway out in Madeira that's up on stilts. You know, it's up on stilts. They extended it for about um, maybe. Why? Why put it on stilts? Because. <laughs> Madeira is a funny place. It's, the space is very. Um, the, the existing runway was there already, and they need to extend it. So they built it up in concrete stilts, and um, you know, it's, it, 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 most things these days can be engineered. I mean, there's a fantastic new bridge down in Waterford, which is one, one of its kind. I think maybe the longest of its type of, of engineered in, in 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 the world at the moment. You know, so we have a lot of engineering things in the country already. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to. I tell you what. I, I wish I'd had somebody from Cork Airport here, but I, but I, I don't. Wish I had to. I uh, rung last week. Yeah. I rung. Uh, no, no. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that they wouldn't. Uh, reply, you know, I mean, so. it's, it's too late. Yeah. It's too late now. But I, I would hope to get a response from them and, and ask them as to the reasons why. And it'll be interesting to see what they come back with. All right. Yeah, but I'd like to know while Hall Martin, Simon Coveney, Cork Chamber, the other radio station of Cork, Independent Newspaper, the DA Comms Officer, and uh, nothing in the 2040 plan, transport plan. I'm just wondering about that. Okay. I'm at a loss. All right, I'll be, back to, I'll be back to it. Thank you both. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tony. Lines open at one 106 Lots of calls, texts, and emails on the way. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-810-4106. Red FM. Big special shout out to my wife and daughter, please, who both celebrate their birthday today. Karen, mom is 35, and Sophie, daughter, is 10. And that's from dad, Joe, and baby sister, Megan. So happy birthday to both. And one quick one. Any chance you could say happy birthday to Veronica O'Leary, who's celebrating her birthday today. A special, special lady. Dee says, since my dad passed away, Neil is the only man in her life and a live mention would be superb if at all possible. Well, I'm so happy to do it and I'm delighted that she listens and thank her for that. So happy birthday to Veronica O'Leary today from all of the family. Um, You're one in a million. You're a diamond. Happy birthday to all that are celebrating birthdays today. Back to the phone lines we go on 1850-104-106. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Um, and our conversations earlier this morning with regards to the primary school student uh, name called by the teacher, uh, it brought back memories to your own childhood, is it? It did. Back in the 80s when um, the Lord Mayor used to finish visit the schools. Yeah. So the school just give an allowance that if you were living outside a certain distance, that you could stay home on the day because your parents couldn't collect you. So I did so. Came I didn't know that. Was day. that the rule, yeah? Yeah, it was. Yeah, way back then. They don't do anything like that no anymore, okay. as far as I know. Yeah. Because so, it would have been a half day, you wouldn't have been able to get home. I got you. you. Would, the Lord Mayor would visit at 10 o'clock. You'd be finished by 11, and they didn't want the kids hanging around the city at the time and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. As I said, it was back in the 80s. All right. So okay. I, t- I turned up the following day for school, went into the class, 
the class I happened to have was this particular teacher's on the day of the Lord Mayor and I didn't have a note or anything and I said it to him and he said right he said if you don't produce a note I said go ask the principal so I was still outside the class so I stood outside the class for a week and a week? The, a week the career guidance officer got involved and the teacher refused to have me back so I where, was where, where was the note though Ken? There was no note because it was the principal had originally stated so for all of us. So that was that. And I stood my ground and said, I'm doing what the, the school had told me. Right. Um, and I was sent to a different maths class. So that was fine. So when you I were outside school, for a week, I'm just curious, forgive yeah, me now. Yeah. Like teachers would pass by and by during the week. The principal would probably yeah. pass. What, did anybody say yeah. anything outside the door for a whole week? Yeah. They asked me and there was a few sniggers and there was a few laughs and um, they just put the head down and said nothing. You know, it was not their business so they didn't want to get involved. Um, so for a whole week you were outside and your yeah, mates were going in yeah. and out of the class? Yeah, How they were all f- going into the class. I'd stand at the door and he'd walk past me and he'd put his head down and he'd walk into the classroom. And how did it make you feel? Um... <sighs> It made me feel like an outsider and it also kind of made me feel proud in a way that I was standing my ground. All right. Did your parents know about the week outside the Yeah, door? they did. Um, they weren't too happy about it either. Um, but I was moved to a different class and I continued on with my, my lessons, so it was fine. So then what happened was I finished school and about a year or two, I happened to be working in a local bar, as you do at 18, 17. Yeah, part-time. And he arrived in, and he walked up to the bar, and um, the comment was made was, I see you've made, you're you're at the level of your uh, competence. This teacher said that to you, the guy who barred you from the class? Yes, yes. I see you're at the level of your competence. Yes, so I said, yes, I am. And I said, you're barred, I'm not serving you. So please leave the premises. <laughs> so that was strike one. I got my back. It took my time to come back. Did he just leave? So he kind of looked at me. Um, and the funny thing was, the owner of the bar, his son had been in school with me. And the teacher had a reputation. So he just turned his back and walked away. And he said, you did not say that, did you? And I said, I did. He, he started laughing and he says, well done. And... We continued on work. But did the teacher say, on what grounds are you barring me? I have done nothing wrong. No, he didn't get, he didn't get a choice. I just said, you're barred, you're not being served. Please leave. <laughs> and <laughs> I stood there and I made sure he walked out the door. How did that make just, you feel? <laughs> even big, Well, he was, he was about five foot four, so it made me feel about ten foot tall. <laughs> it was the best ever day. <laughs> and then by sheer coincidence... Um, <laughs> about four years ago my partner was working in a premises and she was saying oh my partner's from Cork da 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 as you do and um, this lady turned around and she said my nephew was teaching in a school in Cork Yeah. So she mentioned the school it came home and the conversation was I said no way <laughs> so I telling her the story and then um, we happened to bump into this couple in a shopping centre and she said it and then I told her the story and I told her what I did to him and I told her what I thought of him and my statue went about 20 foot tall because I said 30 years later the circle came around and I got to his family <laughs> I got to tell the story to his own family no that's yeah, okay just, that's some, good but sometimes it's but, justice but, but barring him from the pub <laughs> Yeah, that was the best one. That was um, that was probably my 
the highlight of what I did from barring from the pub and he had to walk and it was a long narrow pub so he had to walk all the way out with <laughs> other teachers <laughs> oh there was other teachers there as well yeah yeah. if I can remember rightly though. And did I, they yeah. go out in so, sympathy with him or did they stay supping or what no they all left <laughs> oh god yeah. All of this could have been avoided if you got a note from your parents, man. <laughs> I think I, yeah, as I said, the principal had said it the day previous. So <laughs> no. I went on what the principal said. Oh, you're a gas man. Fair play to you. It made you feel good. You wait, as oh, they say, God. you waited in the long grass. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Revenge is sweet when you wait, when you take your time. All right, pal. Thanks for that. Anybody beat that one? Fair play, Ken. Text 0868104106. Lines open. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Yeah, Cork Airport came back with the statement. Um, they said, look, the runway at Cork Airport can cater for transatlantic flights. They say Norwegian dispelled this myth with direct flights from Cork to Providence, Rhode Island, which is fair enough to say that in the statement, but it didn't last very long. And what were the reasons behind it not lasting very long? Was it just that people weren't booking, as was suggested at the time? So they say that that's not true. It's a myth that the, uh, that the uh, runway isn't long enough. And that Norwegian proved that only for a short period of time. But they said they are working on rebuilding the route after COVID and they have announced new, they have new routes announced um, after November 22nd when they reopen again. And they said um, that direct transatlantic services to the east coast of North America remain on our radar. And we hope to restore our position as Ireland's newest transatlantic airport in the next three to five years. So that's the statement. It, it doesn't answer, if they were on air, I would ask them, it doesn't answer as to why Norwegian had a go at it and decided to pull out. Was it to do with the runway? Was it to do with the cost of the flights? Was it to do with because of the cost of the flights that people wouldn't book? Was it because they were too far the act from the city they actually wanted to be in or what? Uh, I work as an ICU nurse in a London hospital. I've seen firsthand the devastation this virus has caused families and the effects it's had on me and my colleagues. We in London hospitals as nurses and working in ICU are burned out mentally and physically. Anyone who thinks it's better to get to risk getting COVID rather than get the vaccine is not only gambling with their own life, but the lives of people around them. I'm dreading the coming winter and what could happen again in hospitals, says Fergal, uh, who is uh, Fergal O'Regan working as an ICU nurse in London. So lines are open for that and lots more besides text 0868104106. But very interestingly, I saw a text come in, and this is again related to Cork and the city that we love and live in and share. Um, And uh, it's from uh, a taxi driver, uh, Farouk, who's originally from uh, Pakistan, but driving a taxi here and living and getting on with his life here in Cork. Farouk, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well, pal. I'm well. Are Are you driving the taxi long? Um, since about two years, I would say. Are you enjoying it? Do you do you feel happy in the oh, job? Yeah. And sa- do you feel safe in the job? I do feel safe. That uh, I would say last last a week or week and a half ago, there were a few incidents. Like you know, the taxi driver been dropped on the knife point. I was just a bit bit worried about that time, but yeah. I have a screen on, so I wouldn't be worried. So, do you have a full screen between the front and the back of the taxi? Uh, at the back, but oh, just on the back. So, like, I, I do not let people sit on the front seat anyway. And I work with a co-op, so we must have to have a screen anyway. So, okay. So, could safe. could somebody in the back seat, as happened over the past week or ten days, get at you with a knife to your neck or your throat? Um, I don't think so, because uh, my screen is fully covered. So, I, I, I think 
that shouldn't happen to me. But still, you know, it's it's not a nice feeling for every taxi driver, even though you, you have a screen or not. They might can break it, you know. But it's kind of shame that, yeah. No, it's a shame it, that you yeah. even have to contemplate having one. But, it, you know, and I know that the Gardaí have taken somebody into custody, so we'll have to see what happens there. It's just the taxi drivers told me it wasn't feasible to put um, a thick perspex screen between the passenger and the driver. Yeah, I think like everyone should have it uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, it's a safety for the taxi driver too. And I feel safe, same as, you know, when I was in, in London, like black cabs have yeah. all, you know, same as like screens and everything on. And it's a safety for the drivers and with the Corona as well. So I think that's a good thing to okay. have it. Yeah, yeah. Did you drive the London black cabs? I did not drive, but I used to live over there. So oh, you used you know, to, that, yeah, that, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you do nights? Uh very rarely, to be honest. Um, the company which I work for, we mostly have HSE work, and yeah. we just do like daytime, okay. mostly daytime. So, so you work. don't but do nights when people are coming out of pubs or clubs, or um, very rarely, you wouldn't get the boisterous honest. customers. Or you wouldn't get any kind of race, <laughs> racial abuse or anything. Uh, no. Um, so far, I never had that kind of issue with me personally, okay. and I'm lucky toward that side. And I always believe, like, you know, if you're nice to people, they just might be sitting in your car 10, 15 minutes, maybe only. So if you're nice to them, no one will give out to you for no reason. Okay. Okay. You. It's the two wheelers are a problem for you, is it? Are you talking about, like, what is it, electric scooters or is it the Deliveroo fellas with um, their, their different types of, because some of them look like bikes, but they're actually motorized. Are these the characters you're talking about? Yeah, that's like, um, I hope like, you know, first I hope like my voice will reach to the relevant people and I hope they will take some positive steps and, you know, acceptable steps toward it. But like, I would be talking about electric scooter and a delivery cyclist or either like, you know, Uber cyclist, these kind of cyclists. What are they driving? It looks to me as if they have a motor in some of them. They have, they have a motor in there and they, they drive very fast. Yes. Even though they have their own lane. But most of the time, if you go on Washington Street or South Small or around the town area, especially if I would talk about only cyclists, they do not ride in their lane. They might be pop up front of you from middle of nowhere. And to be honest, like, you know, as a taxi driver, I always around in city center daytime. And quite a few times I was almost nearly to have accident with them. And then obviously I do not know if they have insurance or not either. Yeah. And like, you know, who's, who's, who's going to be responsible if I hit them? Like they, I, I personally think they should follow the rules. And but I'm not hearing of them. anybody crashing into electric scooters. So clearly they must be minding themselves. I, I mean, well, to be, uh, to be honest, like, even though electric scooter, if you talk about yesterday, I was on uh, uh, Western road and there was a long queue, but there was a bus bus at the front and, I was finding out like why there's a long queue when I found there was an electric scooter at the front of the bus and he was middle of the road. And that's right. delaying the traffic every single day. And, you know, the bus drivers, especially buses, they cannot cross them at all, especially electric scooter. And I, I don't know if they're illegal in town, like in Ireland or not. And I don't know if they have insurance or not. And I personally... No think insurance, they should, no. Um, they should have insurance. No. And top of that, they should, like, I always feel like they should follow either. They can be considered as a pedestrian and they only can cross the road when pedestrian cross the road 
or either they should be considered as a normal traffic and they only can cross the road where the traffic light is green. They, I feel like they think they are above the law and they just pop up from middle of nowhere. There you go. But, but do you I believe li- that they should stay out of the lane of traffic? Because like, I think they, I personally think like, especially scooter rider, they should be in cycle lane. And when there's no cycle lane, they should be on a footpath. Because, you know, if you see around town center for the normal traffic, council already cut a one lane and gave it to the cyclist. And normal traffic have only one lane to drive. And if the scooters are already in, they keep coming inside that lane, where the normal traffic will go? And if you see, like, let's say, talk about a year or two years before, there was might be one or two scooters you've seen. That was something new for us. And now there's everywhere scooters. And they, like, even if the government, you know, maybe take some steps and say, okay, they're legal in Ireland and give them... They're not. At, at, at the moment, it's, uh, they're not illegal on Irish roads. They're not. Uh, but there is a new yeah. traffic bill coming out, which for the first time will um, uh, at least legislate for the use of e-scooters and e-bikes, um, where they will be, they'll be limited in speed. It might be 25, it might be, it might be 20 kilometers an hour. That would be kind of a maximum speed. But they are saying that legislation to allow them on Irish roads is about to be passed. And that's only from, that's an article from uh, yesterday. I did, I did read that one too. But like if they, if they're heading toward that side, I think they should give them a rule first, like, or same like traffic rules, you know. Oh no, I mean, the rule would be that an e-scooter would have to be on a cycle route that you wouldn't be able to you know what you were saying there with the electric scooter out in front and all of the traffic backed up that would be illegal they also wouldn't be allowed on motorways or busways they use all of those now though you you won't believe neil i during corona there was a two o'clock in the morning i was working that night and i was crossing a douglas exit the first exit i crossed and just between the first and second exit there was a e-scooter on the motorway, two o'clock in the morning. On the motorway. On the motorway. And was like, he was, was he a delivery right. driver or what? You don't know. No, 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 no. Just was a normal like I don't know where he was taking. He might find like this is very quiet this time, so he might be going somewhere. And he he thought this is the safe time to go. And did he have and lights on the front and back? They have lights. Nothing did he? at all. Believe me, there was a few tech, a few normal drivers were um, who were coming from Mahan side toward Wilton. They were flashing me, and I thought, I don't know, they might be a speed camera or something. Yeah. But they noticed there's a scooter, e-scooter, on the motorway. And oh. I literally, and then after I saw the guy, he were going toward that side too, because I took the exit toward that list. And I, I personally think they they caught him but that was so silly and dangerous you know yeah and I think maybe he doesn't put their I don't know as a man or a woman but they don't put the lights on at night maybe because it drains the battery faster you know I think too but but like you know you can you can have um, the lights like um, like a cyclist have it you know at the back like on your back and if anyone comes from the back that light will be you know reflection lights I think so you can have that either too but like you know, in town center, they like you know most of the time when I go, especially with the with the delivery driver, like they do not use a cycle lane, and they will be in on special on Washington Street. They'll be in the middle of the road. You say that they don't respect any traffic rules at all, at all. To be 
if I would say they think they are above the law, I would not be wrong. And I always laugh, laugh like with the people I, I say, like, I think they, they think like we are in the middle of ocean. There's no traffic signal. There's I know, no road. but they're paid so little that they have to get in as many jobs in their shift as they can just to make some I kind do of... believe that way too. But like, if, for example, you're working with a delivery or Uber, it's their responsibility to give them, you know, uh, insurance and make sure they are safe. And, and they don't, they I know that, but it's not, it doesn't seem to be high. And they also get grief from customers if the food's cold. But like, you know, that does not mean you, you can break the law. I know. Hold like on a second then. Hold on. Accident. Hold on a second. James. Yes. Hi. You want to jump in on this? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just heard a, a, an article recently uh, about that where there were, uh, somebody gave an opinion of they seem to have no law attached to them. They don't have to have helmets. They don't have to have insurance. They, if they run into you, you're responsible as the motorist because you're the hardest vehicle. You get that? Is that the law? As this, as I read it and listened to it, that's what he said. Now, I, I, I'm sure it can be questioned, but that's what he said. So to me, they seem above the law. Not above the law. There's no law. There is absolutely no law. And I saw them last week in England as well on a, on a dual carriageway, a busy dual carriageway on the fast lane. So they, they're kamikaze, like, they're like chickens. So if you yeah, hit him in the fast lane, say, for instance, James, of, a mo- of, the, of the link or something like that, because he drives out in front of you or across you, it, you're responsible. Well, that's what he said. That's what he said. The hardest vehicle, which, which seems mad, but that's what the actual words, the hardest, strongest vehicle is responsible. Or in other words, the only vehicle with insurance is responsible. Because they don't have insurance, nor, nor, nor no, any kind of no. tax or anything. No, and I know in France, when someone was in France last year, and he used them regularly, and they just dock them every place. Like, they leave them outside the house, they move it away. They have a really good organized system, but there was no word of insurance. There is now and proposals for companies to start, you know how you can car share, where you can just hire by the hour or whatever yeah, the case is? go-car. Go-car, where well, they're going to have, there's a proposal now to do the same for, for e-scooters, where you can just... Oh, yeah, well, that's what they do on the continent. Like the, a bit like the they're Coca-Cola the, bikes, but they'll be e-scooters. Exactly like that, exactly like that. You go and you give your credit card details, you, you pick and drop, you pick and drop. If you pick it in the city, you can drop it at your house, somebody will pick it at your house and drive on as soon as they register. Now, the system there works very well as a university town, the system works very well. I'm not sure how courteous or law-abiding they are, but what I have seen and from what I have heard, there's absolutely no law deterrence or no, no fear deterrence or no fines that they can place on them at the moment. Okay, all right. Thank you both, gentlemen. Thank you, James. Thank you, Farouk. I'm going to check, actually, as to, as to whether or not the what the law says if you hit somebody on a bike or if you hit somebody on a, an electric scooter because they clearly don't have any insurance. What happens if they're hurt, for instance? Do they claim off you? Or what happens if you total the bike? Or what happens if you total the e-scooter? Maybe somebody listening might know. Text 0868104106. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Get it off your chest. Call-
Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. I promise you in a couple of minutes time I'll come back to insurance and e-scooters and uh, mopeds and, uh, you know, who's right and who's wrong in the case of a claim. So Seamus is standing by Robert, Sean and William. Just first up, a lot of lovely texts came in with regards to our recent coverage of uh, menopause. And this started with my conversation last week with a very open and honest Emma Ahern. Uh, just like to commend you on the amount of airtime you've given to menopause and perimenopause on air. For all too long, this issue has been a taboo subject and millions of women worldwide have suffered in silence. Thank you for bringing this to the forefront of people's minds. It needs to be talked about. Love the show. Tune in every day, says Claire. Well, thank you for tuning in every day. I had my ovaries removed in May. I was thrown into menopause the following day. Wow. Life is so hard. You don't know who you are. And the lack of info education is just so shocking. Doctors only have to do a module in college on the subject of menopause. Yet is it such a huge and sometimes devastating event. I'm working, but well done to those callers who came on air. It made me cry because my life sounds just so normal by comparison. Morning, Neil. Just listened to your topic on menopause. I was on HRT and found it very good to relieve all my symptoms. Unfortunately, I was taken off it because it caused clots in my lungs. I became so bad with sweats, hot flushes and isolating myself that I'm now on two types of antidepressants. I'm listening to your caller Peggy regarding her products. Yes, all of the memory loss, all of the confusion. I've had it all. I'm 49. Estrogen levels at zero. The exhaustion was so bad I couldn't even go from room to room. It gives me great encouragement to battle on when I hear other women talking of the same symptoms as mine, says Regina. Uh, morning, Neil. There is very effective cooling spray mist available even in Aldi. It really helped me. Instant cooling for people who are going through uh, menopause. Just to, and imagine if it's, a, if it's a supermarket, it's probably reasonably priced as well. Um, thanks for the chat about menopause. I have every symptom. I have every symptom. My God, if I was to list out the symptoms for you. Uh, I've every symptom. I'm 50 and I don't feel like myself anymore. Lack of sleep is a huge issue for me. And on top of this, I broke my leg, tibula and fibula sitting here and I can't even go for a walk for my mental health, says Nicole. Try and stay strong. Try and stay strong. And if, if nothing, talking on this topic and others like it where people might have felt isolated and alone. It's always great consolation in knowing that you are not alone. There are others like you. And we certainly saw that with regards to our menopausal, perimenopausal calls on the air for the last week and I'd encourage more people to get in touch. You can always email your story incidentally, Neil, at redfm.ie There's been a crash on the Cove Road just after the right turn over Bell Valley Bridge let people know to take an alternative route for now uh, or go left over Ticknock or use the ferry or something because uh, there's all sorts of problems with traffic at the moment and so back to our roads we go again. Uh, William, good morning Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good, my man. On the on the point of insurance, you know, just pick up on that for me. Yeah, well, uh, as I was saying to Brenda there, uh, like I, I've been in the taxi business 25 years, and from what I've seen, the insured party will always be the victim at the end of the day because they'll be made target from the solicitor, and the solicitor only has to prove that there was a slight negligence on your part. For the person, like say a cyclist or an e-scooter, or a pedestrian, uh, I suppose, uh, or a pedestrian. Yes, I'll, I'll tell you a case there now shortly. But he, they use the solicitor. You will usually go after the clause in the law that requires you to be driving at a speed that allows you to stop in an emergency at all times. Now, if you have an accident, you obviously were driving a little bit too fast to stop in an emergency. 
and that's where the solicitor that's will That's the loophole you're saying. That, uh, yeah. that's, well, that's if you crashed, if you crashed into him, you mustn't have been driving slow enough. Yeah, like you take a green light there now, you're driving at 30 miles an hour. The law says you can go through the lights at 30 miles an hour, but the judge will turn around to you in court and say green light only gives you the right to enter a junction and that you must proceed with caution at a speed that enables you to stop in an emergency. Okay, well, that's okay, say, for instance, for, you know, maybe for a pedestrian, maybe even not. Why would a pedestrian cross um, when the when he's got the red man? You know, like, why well, would... I'll, I'll tell you a case that a family member was involved in that. An accident up in the north side of the city. And is that uh, is it all? Is it over now? Oh, it is over about twenty years. Okay. Yeah. Well, well finished. Well finished. The pedestrian that night, about one o'clock in the morning, there was people standing at the side of the traffic light junction, wait to cross the road, and this pedestrian that was half dressed and shoeless, nearly naked, went running through the group of people that were standing at the side of the road, wait across the road and ran out in front of uh, my relative's car. Now, the guards came along, they took statements from all the witnesses. Now, ran out and them. was hit by the relative's car, is it? That's correct, yeah. Okay, thank you. This is kind of the guards came along, they took the details, and uh, they took statements from all the witnesses. So the ambulance, did an ambulance come along? He, oh, yeah, he was carted away in an ambulance. Right. But anyway, the guards turned around to the, my relative and said, uh, you're, you're, you're not responsible at all. He said, uh, uh, your man ran out in front of you. He said you were driving at a reasonable speed. He said you'd be hearing nothing more from us. Right. Uh, several weeks passed and the letters came in the door from the solicitors uh, suing and uh, your man was eventually paid out a handsome sum of money. Go away. And uh, did it ever go to court? No, the insurance company said that this big thing. The, the, the insurance company know the game and they know the avenue that the solicitor would take that the person driving the car was driving too fast going into the junction to enable it to stop safely. So the insurance company just put the hands up, avoided court, and settled? Yeah, yeah. How'd your yeah. buddy, how'd your relative feel about that? Does insurance go up? Oh, he's a board that's sky high. He's in the public service industry, so in terms of public service people, so, like, you know, he's a board that's sky high. It nearly put him out of business, actually, to be honest with you, but... They're the type of things we were contending with, you know. The, I can tell you about the, the, the scams that were pulled in the insurance. Uh, the, I, even myself, uh, having people deliberately walking out and trying to time the way they walk out in front to get, try to get a claim, you know. Have so, they successfully done that? Uh, they, they have over the years. Like um, I, I know another case there that happened by the by the. Doesn't matter, somewhere anyway, wherever it was. It happened by the upper house. He had two passengers inside the back of his car. Lights turned green. He started taking off the lights and pulling the back seat. Oh, oh, I took off very fast there, boss. <laughs> what what, hap- what yeah. happened with that? Oh, he got about five or six thousand pounds. For what? Backseat whiplash, is it? Backseat whiplash. And an insurance company paid out on the, the basis of knowing that your man said that he took off with the lights too fast. Correct. Come on, that's an urban myth, William, surely. No, I can actually, off air, I'd actually pay the person the line. He's still actually taxi driving with me in the camps. Oh, for God's sake, man. All right, okay. Yeah. All right. So, like, if you, if you also think a person like a burglar is uh, breaking into a building, if they fall off the roof and break their legs, they're well able to sue the, the owner of the building. Where did that? They actually do sue, don't they? 
they do, yeah. yeah they sue yeah, the yeah, public yeah. liability insurance on yeah. the building. Oh, I'm firmly convinced anybody using the public roads on any type of vehicle, bicycle, e-scooter, the whole lot, should at minimum have personal liability insurance for even just to cover their own injury. Okay, let, yeah. let me pick up on that point with Sean, if you don't mind. Thank you, William. Sean, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are Fair you? play to you for holding on. You worked with Deliveroo okay. for nearly five years. Yeah. Okay. What what, yeah. what did you go about on? Was it a was it a, it wasn't a scooter? It was an electric was it an electric bike or what was it? I've, it's been an electric bike and a regular bike. Okay. What are the ones that look like heavy duty bikes that clearly have some kind of an engine on them or a motor? What are they? They're e bikes. E bikes. E bikes. Yeah. Like they, you have an e bike as well, don't you? you no, know, but I have to pedal it. I see these guys going along and they're not pedaling. Am I missing something there? Um, well, they should be pedal assist. Like I'm, I'm not sure if they. You haven't seen them, have you? They they kind of look almost like military. They're they're heavier bikes, um, heavier bike. They look like bikes, but they're heavier, um, just bigger frames, and they seem to well, drive themselves. Well, I do see. Jesus, at the other time, I'd see them. They're not pedaling. Most of the time, I'd see them pedaling. Yeah, I'm wondering, are they are they some kind of a, a you know? battery powered like like an e-scooter you know but it's a bike version of it well it's probably a cross like that yeah yeah some kind of a hybrid or something but but, but, it wouldn't be the norm okay so for you it was um, an e-bike or a regular bike but were you if you were hit Mm. what happens well there's there's four types of riders you can have your regular bike your e-bike a moped or a car and all riders have insurance from Deliveroo they have rider accident insurance so if I'm in an accident I'll be covered and they also have rider public liability so it's best in case you cause injury to someone whilst at work and if you cause damage to someone else's property such as a vehicle or a building Okay so if, if a delivery driver on say for instance um, a bike uh, say an electric bike for that matter yeah. um, is in the wrong and crashes into a car yeah. um does the does does the car insurance driver sue the delivery driver? You see, I've never tested that, thankfully. Yeah. Like, um, so it is there, but you know it has to be, I suppose, fought out in court. Okay, okay. So on the on the other point, then the the recklessness of, oh, say, for instance, yeah. delivery drivers. Pick up on that because we've all seen them. They they really are a law unto themselves. And just before that, could I add in, if you're driving a moped or a car, you have to buy your own delivery insurance as well, which is more expensive than regular car insurance. Yeah, well, because you have to have those insured on the road. They're electric, they're they're mechanically propelled vehicles, that's why. And as a delivery driver, you need this extra insurance too, it's more costly. Okay, all right, okay, so the greyer area then is the, is is say for instance, the electric bike or the electric scooter, which aren't illegal um, and don't at the moment need tax or insurance. The recklessness of the of the cyclist, yeah. though. What about that? Why is that happening? Is it they're under pressure? Um, well, that's part of it. Um, under pressure. You know, some some guys... Um, it's working on commission, first of all. There's no hourly rate anymore. That was kind of pushed out of the system a few years ago. And some guys are... Um, they have to rent their accounts. So they might be paying 40% of their wages to someone else. So they're under more pressure than to earn a bit more money. Okay. So if they're not on a flat wage, mm. um, 
what kind of what kind of money is made per per delivery? It varies so much. Like even the amount that delivery will pay you, it, if their algorithm decides on a daily basis, it can be how many riders are available on the day. The, the money changes. What vehicle you're driving, whether it's a, a bicycle, e-bike, moped, car, they get paid different rates. Right. Okay. What the weather is like. Everything, the time of day. If it's a bank holiday, jazz weekend, whatever. So, for instance, a guy on a bike then would make considerably less than somebody in a car, right? Well, traffic is terrible in the city, so bikes can kind of be more mobile around the city centre. But would somebody earn a living, say, for instance, doing... I mean, I guess nights would be busier than days, would they? Yeah. Actually, you know, they can... Lunchtime can be good. Um, um, and, and evenings. Weekends in the evening are, are usually the best. I am working at it full-time now, and the past month has been good. Oh, you're still doing it? Okay. Yeah. And can I ask you, do you make there. reasonably good money? Yeah. The past month it has been, but it's. I think that's because the students were back. Now this week has been done because people are waiting for the jazz weekend. But do you have? Are you in any position to tell me what you might make per per drop or per delivery? I couldn't because it varies so much. Well, is it a fiver? Is it three euro? Is it tenner? Is it like probably between four and five euro um, delivery? Probably something. That. Okay, so say f- uh, a fiver, and that would be, would that be typically something like, say, the city centre restaurant to, like, Douglas, or would you be going to Ballyvalan, or would you be going to St. Luke's, or what? College well, Road. If they go to Mahan, you know, they could ask um, Model Farm Road, like CRT, that'd be the furthest kind of you'd be asking Okay, so you'd get, say, if it was pizza, yeah. up on your back with the straps onto the mm-hmm. bike, cycle down to Mahan, deliver the pizza, back into the city again, five euro. See, it varies by distance as well. And also, um, the if you're, the altitude, you know, if, you, if you're going uphill, the, the amount... How did, they work, how did they work that out? Well, if, you, if you're in Google Maps um, and you type in um, a direction to go somewhere, it gives you the altitude. So... They're able to, you know, analyze maps and figure out um, the altitude difference. So you get more of a payment if you're cycling up hills. Yeah, well, it's not much more. Like the minimum is two ninety for delivery, and sometimes that's offered. Two ninety. Yeah, that's the minimum, and it's it's gone down over the years. It used to be higher than that. My God! And would there be tips then every single time you drop? Uh, getting more rare because I think people are under pressure you know getting more bills everything's getting more expensive but surely if they can afford takeout which is a luxury item by and large surely they could afford a two euro coin or something I think people are getting more strapped for cash I mean people people do tip and I'm grateful for those people but it's I think less people can afford to tip over the years Okay, well, that's very magnanimous of you, but you must get disappointed when they don't tip. Well, especially you might go out of your way, cycle a long distance, and do kind of go go beyond what you you kind of are expected to do in the job, and and then you mightn't get a tip. 
and you'd be a bit disappointed. But sure, you'll drive on. What can you do? What can you do? You never know who yeah. you're calling on. And, yeah. and I just want to share the roads with the other users too, you know? Like, um, sometimes the cycle lanes don't work great because they might be outside a pub, you know, late at night, there's people walking and then they might be on their phones. Yeah, yeah I know, but the, the dr- yeah. delivery drivers, they go through red lights. They do, but sure, that's uh, if they're looking around them and they're kind of walking through the lights with their bicycle, you know, we can kind of debate, is that good or bad? You know? Ah, come on, man, maybe that happens. But I cycle, I see them, and sometimes I pull up next to them, but except you can't pull up next to them because they go right through the light. Yes, some guys do it, and I, I shake my head when I see that. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a delivery rider, so you know, there's there's both types of people out there. You know, they're time poor, not reckless. I suppose you're saying they're time poor, like most of us, time poor. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So busy weekend ahead then. <laughs> Unexpected. Like the, the restaurants are going to be swamped, so I don't know. That could be bad for deliveries. Who knows? They might be waiting. All right. To pick up, you know. Okay. Jordan, yeah. Well, let's stay safe, Sean. Thanks for taking the call. You too. Okay. Thank Five you. years into working with Deliveroo. Um, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, so you were delivering parcels and food during, I guess, during the lockdown, was it? Correct, Neil. Um, I was doing uh, the parcels in the morning and at night, and I would That's go right, delivering yeah. both. Because yeah, you weren't uh, driving the taxi as such, is it? Correct, correct, Neil. Yeah. Um, there was no business in the taxi industry. Yeah. Um, the insurance is this, is where these guys are making their money, Neil. These um, Deliveroo and Just Eat and all these. Because my insurance covers me in the taxi. I think it's up to about 60 million for me to carry goods in the car um, that I'm insured for to carry. But 60 million? When would you have, se- like that, when would you ever have 60 million? Yeah. A payout of 60 million? Oh yeah, the, the payout if something goes wrong, the well I'm covered for it. It's ridiculous. You want the money? You, you just couldn't do it. You have to drive into the Empire State Building to, Christ to do the damage. You know? So when you weren't delivering the parcels and the food, that was a different job than a taxi. Was there different insurance involved? No, it's not Neil because delivering has always been part of taxi driving. Always, always has been. You would get a solicitor would give you a letter to deliver across the city. Yeah. Or you might be given... A, I've often delivered a set of lungs from one hospital to another. I'll be darned. These are, so these are the kind of things that taxis do, delivering every day. So we're covered by insurance for us. But these companies, the Deliveroo and the Just Eat and all these, wanted extra money. So it just happens that the company they use, it's a company called Zico, is the company that insures my taxi. And when I said to them, look, I'm already covered by Zico for four times the amount of money that she, they wanted us insurance money by the hour. And it was two euros an hour they wanted while I was working extra. All right. This is where they make that, this is where they make their money, Neil. Okay. It's in uh, the insurance, it's the rip-off of the insurance. Yeah. Well, you know, you know that insurance costs have gone up again despite a drop in payments, uh, something like 15%, even though, even though the average payouts have now dropped. In fact, it seems as if personal injury awards have fallen by 40% to this time last year. But that has not been passed on to the insured. No, it's a, you know, it's rip-off island, here we are. It's, it's, it's a never-ending story, Neil. It's just going to be Keep taking the money off people every opportunity you can. That's the way our society seems to work. Okay. Did you ever have anyone trying it on, either in the car with whiplash or somebody uh, crashing into you or walking out in front of you? Do you, not, do you not remember two years ago, Neil, where somebody ran into the back of me and had a witness say that the, that they saw me reversing and they got 90000 for the shopping trolley um, kind of damage to the back of my car? Do you not remember that? No. No. 
What was oh, that? Oh, yeah, several events. We spoke about it. I remember my insurance went from an average of 1,800 a year up to 14,000 because somebody below on Castle Martha ran into the back of my taxi and had just happened to have a witness at 1 o'clock in the morning saw me reversing um, out um, of a, a driveway, which didn't happen. They claim that you reversed uh, out of a driveway and hit a, hit a pedestrian, was it? No, no, no. They, 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 the Castle Martha town, Neilai reversed out onto the road, they said, and that they ran into the back of me, and that's why the reason that they ran into the back of me. Oh, in though, their car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Even though sitting on my front seat was a barrister from the UK, and on the back seat was his wife, was a solicitor, and the guarantee said they're, in, they're immune to the accident, they have nothing to do with it because they're part of it, they can't give statements. But they gave statements to my insurance company saying that we were part, that we were doing the transaction on the credit card machine. When this guy ran into the back of me, but it just happened that he just lucky enough to have his witness, your brother-in-law, he's the one. All right, well, I won't go into the personal details, uh, but was yeah. for just a couple of things on that. Were you parked dangerously with the back of the car on onto the road, not though? Not at all, not at okay. all, no. Okay, and, um, no. and was it settled out of court? Yes, correct. Okay, okay. And they told you it was settled um, for 80 grand. Were they hurt? Uh, no, they were dead. O'Neill, I'm telling you, the people in the car that were sitting in my car thought a suitcase had fell over in the boot. That's exactly what they thought had happened. Crikey. All you right. know the way a suitcase would topple over in the boot? Yeah. Um, that was the impact. Even, that was the impact, yeah. That's how slight it was. But, uh, and your insurance went from 1800 to how many thousand? 14000 Crikey. So... You needn't tell me anything about rip off on that insurance. All right, bye. Okay, mind yourself, John. Thanks for that. Seamus, good morning. How you doing, Neil? Good. Uh, you're th- actually, it's amazing because when we hear of a 40% uh, d- decrease in the amounts paid out in personal injury claims, you would expect people to see that dropping in their insurance renewals, but of course that doesn't happen. Anyway, go ahead. Um, maybe Pierce Sardi might do something about that, you know? <laughs> Who knows? They've promised uh, enough. <laughs> Yeah, no, just if you're uh, if you're hit by an insurer, just contact the MIBI, and Modern Insurance Board of Ireland, or Bureau, if you call now, and they take care of um, uninsured cases. So, I mean, if you're hit by somebody who's uninsured, a lot of people think there's nothing they can do, but you can. I mean, if your own car or your mobile or whatever is damaged or a write-off, they'll actually uh, foot the bill as long as you are insured. The insurance, ah, yeah, the insurance that's, will cover. that's fine if but, it's well it's the insurance people it's it's people who pay insurance premiums pay the yeah, motor insurance bureau of ireland payouts for uninsured drive we're paying for that yeah effectively that's it but the point that's being made here is what happens if you hit us if you hit a cyclist or an e-scooter they're not insured I'm not sure. Well, that's down to the government, isn't it? Their policy on like rolling out e-scooters and how they're defined legally on the road and so on. It's it's a mess. It's a litigious mess. At the end of the day, that's you know this is a, and this is stuff pushed by the Greens as well, uh, some level, and it just leaves everyone uh, like everything else. You know, look at COVID. You know, and everyone's up in the air and, and lost as to what happens when things go wrong. You know. But apparently, but, uh, what's being said is that the reason why an e-scooter doesn't need insurance is because you have to push it to start it. You know, who's creating these rules? No, that it doesn't <laughs> start of its own, it doesn't start of its own momentum. I you know, know. It's, not, it's, not, it's not a propelled vehicle as such. Like yeah. Whatever. yeah. Well, see, the legal terminology needs to be reviewed as well. And 
it's that ever going to happen, you know? Um, when you look at the current government, I, your answer is definitely no, it won't. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the only thing I can say, and from experience, I remember being hit before by an uninsured driver uh, car. My car was destroyed. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just checked all the internet. So obviously went to solicitor and so on. What, what can I do? And the MIB, I do cover it. You know, they cover your damages and so on as your insurer. So that you're unaffected effectively legally, you know, so it doesn't affect any... Um, did they pay for the replacement of the car or did they pay for the damage? Yeah, no, they, they covered all of that. Like, um, like see, you've nowhere, you, you've nowhere to go. You've no one to chase because you're the other okay. person's not insured. But just on a final um, point they, they in that case... Chased, the uninsured is chased legally. They're chased through the court. But, I, I mean, that's a defunct for purpose process as well. No, no, it's not. I mean, when you say, was that, were, they, were they prosecuted for driving while uninsured? Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. Well, they should be, shouldn't they? They should be, yeah, but I, I don't know the internet that. I didn't go into it, like, you know, I just let that go. I was only worried about my own case. Okay. But, I mean, okay. it's good legally. It's not the guarantee there and they're called. They, would, they should be charged. At, at, least, at the very least, they'll be charged if they're caught uninsured. All right, so appreciate that. that. Go to DPP. Yeah, DPP, for sure it should. Uninsured driver involved in an accident. Any okay, uninsured driver, an uninsured driver checked, stopped at a guard at checkpoint would be prosecuted. Never mind crashing into someone. Oh, I know, actually. I was sure when in doubt, like, I mean, if you're hit by an uninsured driver, like, and you know it, call the guards. It's as simple as that. They have to respond. If they don't respond, put it down on the document and write it down. All right. It's a listener. That's the simplest. All right. Thanks, James. Actually, thank you for that. Uh, I was mentioning on air last week how how it would seem as if uh, judges are reacting to claims that we kind of did a double take at when we read them in the newspapers over the years. There was a couple of women who claimed to have injured their ankles as they got out of a bird's nest basket swing in a children's playground. They went all the way to the high court in an action, these two women, uh, and the judge found that there was no negligence by the county council involved in this. The accident was caused by two adults deciding to use equipment not designed for adults, uh, and anyone with any common sense would tell any adult that they should not be using a swing designed for the use of children, he said. And he dismissed not just one of their cases, but both of them. Uh, But if you think that you're going to win with regards to insurance companies, think again. So if you find that, um, you know, insurance costs... Uh, should be coming down and they're not. Ask yourself the question why. Well, one of them is because they always come up with different reasons as to why not. Like I had a house insurance renewal there recently, never, nothing to do with the claim or anything, just the home insurance, and it went up. Uh, And I remember querying as to why would insurance be going up when, um, you know, payouts within the insurance industry generally are now being controlled and curtailed by the courts and there's been a 40% drop in personal injury awards now. I know that that's not connected to house insurance, but it's all the same company. They have, the company does all of the same things. It could be a, um, you know, like a Zurich or something like that. Uh, and what I was told was by the broker was, well, it actually has nothing to do with insurance claims or payouts or anything to do with that. The reason why your house insurance went up is the cost of building materials to rebuild it in the event of a fire have gone up. I said, Mother of God, you just can't win with these people in any way, shape, or form. We got calls on the way after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 Red FM. I promise I will be coming back to uh, insurance and payouts and claims and scams and things like that. So if you have an opinion on it or a story to share, text 0868104106. Email neil at uh, redfm.ie. But I am absolutely fascinated by what's been um, uncovered under the uh, pub Nancy Spain's on Barrick Street. First of all, it was one skeleton. And of course, chatting on air yesterday with Owen English, 
it turned out to be six skeletons. And I heard in the news with Lana O'Connor at 11 o'clock, the City Council uh, archaeologist, Kira Brett, uh, saying that, um, you know, that this site now will be worked on for about eight weeks um, and that it's likely that the bones date back to uh, the 18th century, which would be sometimes sometime in the in the 1700s. I think it's fascinating considering the area in which they were uncovered, very old, medieval, very, very historically significant part of the very, very old city of Cork. And I imagine somebody who's also fascinated by it is the Cork historian, Kieran McCarthy. He joins me by phone. Kieran, good morning. Yeah, morning, Neil. How are you? Amazing no. story that keeps on giving, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I actually saw something on um, on social media that people were calling the Barrack, the Barrack Street Six. Six. Um, I know. There's yeah, some witty but, um, comments, all right, about a kind of a, yeah. a, a you know. A, now I know why there was a musty smell in in, in Nancy Spain's when I was drinking there all those years ago. But there, there, these are you know these are stories of people's lives. And even Owen English was saying yesterday that there was a chance that they might have been uh, bound by ropes with their hands tied behind their back. Have you? Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear that. I mean, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at the press as well. I actually must give Kira Brett a shout. I mean, she does tremendous work, yeah. uh, working on different archaeological sites in the city. And there's a huge archaeological site actually off Grattan Street as well. They're actually working on... I'd love um, to chat with her, actually. I might start and sort that out because it's yeah, actually a very interesting yeah. tales to tell. But she's she said- got a truckload of YouTube videos as well, actually, to do with the council on medieval Cork and what it was like and the horrible histories. And Because um, like, you'd say, like... You know, with, the, with, with this six kneel, you go, one, yeah, could be a special grave or a sinister act, and two, you'd like to think maybe there were lovers or something like that, or there were brothers in arms, but six is very purposeful and that they've been forgotten about for over 300 years. It's incredible. But do you remember in the garden further up by Gallows Green, this is the Green Mount area, where 16 skeletons were found yeah. in, the 90, in the garden of a house. Do you recall that? Yeah, yeah. There's an excavation report on that. I've, I've written on that over the years. Do we uh, know yeah. any any story behind the history of that? Uh, Gallows Green? Um, yeah. Um, we have historical records going back to 16, kind of 40 seems to be the first written record that has survived. There was a lady and she was she was asked to not profess her Catholic faith, and she was she was hanged for for saying no. I, I want to be a Catholic. Um, a lady wrote from from I. She was a viscountess, oh. um, and then we've got loads of stories. Then I mean, we were very very lucky. One of the antiquarian books that we have in Cork City Library called Tucky's Remembrancer lists out maybe the the top twenty um, things that happened at Gallows Green and some of the curiosity things. So like we have we have people that were hanged at Gallows Green because they stole grass. Um, the, 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 there was a couple that ran away with each other and the guy was hanged because he did it out of wedlock and we've got loads of stories of people the United Irishmen that were involved in 1798 and they were hanged for for their work and there's even a, like when you go up to like Gallows Green is now marked by an intersection of roads of Green Street and Gould Street just kind of a triangular set of buildings on the site and of course it was in one of those gardens that they found these, these 15 Now so, this was the official site of hanging by you know yeah. execution by hanging then back in the day Yeah yeah and we know so we know at least it's from 1600s to um, kind of 1820s because then the public hanging moved to the two jails that we had in the city that were built the city jail and the county jail and then we know kind of after that, then we've got accounts of Father Matthew kind of giving orations on temperance um, on, the, on the stone pins. And then somewhere after that, probably 1860s onwards, we can kind of map in the houses what kind of built from them and kind of disappeared and for, mm-hmm. and then until they found the skeletons and the story came out again. And has it, been, has it been confirmed that the 16 in the garden were hanged? 
Um, they're n- some of their neck bones, I suppose, were strained. Um, they were hanged, Kieran. Come on, weren't they? Yeah. Well, their their bones were disarticulated. They were disarticulated, and then the, many of them were broken. They were snacked. They were actually stacked in knee piles, and the skulls were stacked together. So basically, yeah, the bodies were thrown to one side, and they waited, waited for the bodies to rot away. And they actually took the bones and kind of stacked them up quite nicely. And then the next poor old souls came in. They were hanged, and then. Yeah, so I mean, the moral of the story is don't dig in a back garden in Greenmount. I know, uh, but it could. So, but the connection then to under Nancy Spain's and Barrack Street, let, let's say if they were hanged at Gallows Green, why would they end up on. Like, what would have been there, say, for instance, where Nancy Spain's is on Barrack Street in the 1700s? Um, well, Kira said there were buildings before the present day building that they just took down the Nancy Spain, Nancy Spain building. We've got old, we have buildings marked on the site from 1700. So my gut is that they could be before that. And I mean, it's just all speculation. I mean, we just don't know. I mean, for me, I have in my head perhaps that they were they were involved in some sort of battle against Elizabeth Fort, which is actually closer to the site than Gallows Green. I mean, Elizabeth Fort was attacked twice, it rebelled twice. The second time it was on the, uh, it, it fell. Um, and one could say that these six poor individuals were, they were passing by at the time. They were soldiers and they got killed. They were just dumped in a ditch and then someone just built a building over them and didn't know they were in a ditch. Um, like we do know in the 1600s, there were moats and ditches around Elizabeth Fort and over time, like, buildings in the early 1700s were constructed. So there was this, this famous siege of Cork in 1690 where basically supporters of James II, the Catholic king, kind of took over the walled town of Cork and William White soldiers, 5,000 soldiers were sent over to Cork to take the town back and they bombarded the city from the hills surrounding With cannon. It. With cannon with, from Elizabeth with, with Ford. With cannon and Barrack Street area was destroyed from being caught in the crossfire and then we know that the, the, the rebels, as they were called, English forces, ran into the town and before they ran into the town they burned all of Barrack Street. So after the siege, then like Barrack Street had to be rebuilt. Um, and so when you actually do walk down Barrack Street, you'll see plaques and walls going like this building was built in 1703 and 1710 and all the way up the street. And then you can see kind of a above the first floor levels of those sort of buildings. Then you'll see the Victorian kind of extension of the 19th century. Yes. Like actually, that. you can also it's see in the Bar- in the, Elizabeth- the Elizabethan Fort walls where when Cromwell came apparently to visit at some stage, he had the height of it doubled. And you can see that line in the brick. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible structure. I mean, it's great to even have it, have it open at the moment and the ramparts are open. You can actually walk all the way around now Elizabeth Fort and actually look down okay, the city so, and okay. an, all right. an interpretation room. So we don't know whether this was a hanging. It could have been potentially casualties of that war. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Um, and the other point to make is that there were no shortage of graveyards in that area. I mean, like, it's not a case of, oh, we, there were no graveyards. I mean, I, I did some work there recently. We're very, very lucky that we actually have archaeological reports and medieval burial sites across the city. And we do know, like, between, let's say, 1300s and 1600s, there was at least six graveyards, perhaps, in operation in that area. Um, now, most of those graveyards have also they've disappeared or what's left is maybe an archway or yeah. there might be like Red Abbey is left the tower is left yeah. the elements like that so there's a lot beneath the ground we don't know of it's good bear, yeah because bear in mind you had the Northgate Bridge and you had the Southgate Bridge and after yeah. the Southgate Bridge there was you know it, it was it was just countryside right the Barry Street would have been countryside um, we do have surveys done of Cork in the 1650s that show the suburbs were were populated with people. We're talking, I don't know, a, a thousand people at least in Barrick Street area, a thousand people in Shandon Street area, 
um, like we do with people as well living in the liberties of the city trying to escape the, the property tax that was actually in existence maybe that came in like 13 So what did the gates what did those gates what purpose did they serve if there was people living outside them on Barrack Street? Um, I suppose at the start like if you live within the wall town you had to pay taxes and if you stayed outside the wall town you didn't have to pay property taxes but then over time like the I suppose the old English administration um, began to widen the property taxation net. So we, we have accounts in the early 1600s where they widened it as far as Douglas and that it was a cross in, in what's now Douglas Village kind of marking the site that beyond this is you're, you're, you're free of taxes. So, gotcha. um, so even, yeah, so uh, we, I mean, there are accounts of things like called things like Southern Liberties and Northern Liberties. When you start looking at the old maps, so like we're very, very blessed. Like we've got we've got really detailed maps of Cork in the early 1600s. I mean, and those those bridges you mentioned, Southgate Drawbridge and Northgate Broad, Northgate Drawbridges. Like there's there's a, a gorgeous, well, a gorgeous sketch. It's a horrible history sketch of heads and spikes. Um, on the drawbridge towers at Southgate Bridge and Northgate Bridge, and there is that. There's a legend as well, actually. The on the top of the steps of the the counting house, so the former Beamish and Crawford site. There's a, a limestone block, and there's That's right. two holes in the block, and they're supposed to hold the spikes. They were supposed to hold the spikes with the heads and spikes and and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, there is that horrible history myth and legend that has kind of survived in Cork as well. There's another story that makes a great story, though. Yeah, well, it's great to tell these stories in the walking tours. Um, especially, I, I find yeah, primary school kids love them. And um, but we do know that. I mean, there's like we're lucky. We have all these antiquarian books from the 1800s that kind of they describe life in the 1700s and describe some of these myths that kind of built up. And do you know those books that you refer to that are so significant to our history? Are they accessible by the public, or have they been oh, yeah, published or printed? Yeah, well, there were all, many of these were kind of reprinted in the 1980s. There was a gorgeous kind of history press called Tower Press, and they did a lot of work. They were actually based on Barrack Street. Um, so books like um, John John Windle's Descriptive Notices of Cork, which is full of these, like, just curiosity stories of things that he encountered in Cork in the 1840s. And then we've got it called Tucky's Remembrance, or also yeah. a book full of... Yeah, but what's happened now is that these are, like, Google Books have completely digitized them all, so... Um, but you can need to name, if you know the name of the book, you put it into Google and this free PDF will come up. And also, like Cork City Library has a, a site called CorkPastAndPresent.ie, and you can you can go into that and you'll see you can download all maps of Cork and um, what a city. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's something like I suppose the horrible history of histories of Cork from medieval times is something that maybe hasn't been outed before, kind of spoken about before. Um, I, I suppose a lot of Cork people, if you said Gallows Greensland, they probably would have learned it maybe in school, it would have been talked about in school. Um, but certainly, yeah, that whole area, Gallows Green, the Lock area, isn't incredible. Even the, the, the history around the Lock area itself. And okay, lock okay. So your gut, then, the, your gut then is that these six are linked to the Siege of Cork and that they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and just didn't get a proper burial, is it? That's my speculation. Civilians? You think civilians? 300 years ago? I'm going to be intrigued to see what the excavation report is going to come back to. I mean, are they going to find objects next to these these people? I don't even know if they're male or female. That that hasn't been identified yet. Um, but, it, I mean, it does tally with the was activity in that area 300 years ago. The siege of Cork. The wall town was attacked. It fell. And then after that, the town walls were taken down. So these could be... These, these 
six are significant in terms of their findings. Um, and Kira Bet has also said, like, we, like developers, when they develop across the city, we don't really find loads of skeletons. They're usually in um, defined spaces, like a, an old church site. Um, so the fact that these were buried and then someone built a building on top of it and another building was built on top of that and that no one even... Put through putting down foundations, phones. Those were the days. Those were the days. The Barrick 36. It's an incredible find for our time. Yeah, Um, yeah. All right, well, let's see what time will tell, you know, because obviously forensically and with DNA technology and all sorts of carbon dating, they probably will be able to tell us what they had for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, they'll look at their bones and get a sense of how strong these people are, even their age. Um, It depends as well how... Their age um, would be very interesting. Their sex and age would be very interesting. Yeah, and looking at their skulls, if skulls have survived, and looking at their teeth and seeing what their diet was. Um, and, I mean, I don't know, it, it, there might be some evidence that they were just passing through. They were they were there at the wrong time. Um, but to purposely bury six people, uh, that's very purposeful. There's something about that that just strikes me. It's not just a random individual that, I don't know, someone, someone died. It marked someone some kind of an event in their lives, yeah, it did. You know, as a, as yeah. a group of six, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not okay. someone who couldn't afford a burial. This is something more than that. This All right, let's, uh, let's revisit it. Let, yeah, let's revisit it in the in the coming weeks. Listen, Kieran, thanks for coming on the air this morning. You have um, a very important walking tour of Cork today. My wife is amongst <laughs> them. They're a group of adults, my wife included. So give them the royal treatment, will you? Yeah, yeah, no bother at all. All right, right, thanks a million, Neil. Take care. One and only Kieran McCarthy. Your thoughts on that are welcome and everything else besides. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 you know the drill. That's your cue to call for uh, jazz tickets for the Met this weekend. These tickets are for Saturday night, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Now, Lana will have an update on that crash between a car and a van. Uh, two vehicle collision on the photo to Cove Road. Now, emergency service ambulances have responded to the scene. Some more on that in a few minutes' time. It's very sad, though. I sent a photograph of a dead pony. It's just so sad. Uh, Ken O'Flynn has posted the photograph and is uh, saying that it's upsetting to see this. What's gone wrong with society when this is allowed to happen with no consequences? It's a dead pony, literally dead on the Blarney Road, just lying there dead. Beautiful, beautiful animal whose life has ended for whatever reason. He says, the treatment of horses and ponies by some in our city is totally unacceptable, regardless of culture or any other excuses. It is just simply animal cruelty at its worst, worst and it must not be tolerated. What was the life behind that poor pony? It came to such an abrupt end. How much cruelty? And I don't know. It doesn't look as if it's a. Can't really tell from the photograph whether it's been underfed or abused or, um, you know, malnourished or whatever. But one thing's for sure is dead on the Blarney Road. The lines are stay open at 1850 Congratulations to Breda O'Leary from Condinan near Glenville. And we got jazz tickets for you and whomever you choose to take with you for the weekend, Saturday night at the Met. Wondering, can you say a huge happy first birthday to our twin boys, Jason Colton. Love from mum and dad, big brother Devon. Lots of big birthdays uh, on at the moment. And one other one here, Phyllis Walsh, birthday today. Happy birthday to her from all of the family. Uh, our lines are open at 1850 We'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.